Welcome back. It's Pop Ninja's podcast, uh, the Slice and Dice podcast. I always forget to add that in. The official, the official podcast of PopNinjas.com. Number nine. You say this is really number nine. It is absolutely number nine. It would have been cool if it was number twelve. Oh yeah, it would have tied into our theme. Took me a bit of math for a second there, but yes, yes. For the tie-in, the twelfth would be perfect. But the theme of this podcast is bars. So to that, <laughs> bottoms up, I say. <clears throat> Not that that's anything new for us, but Mm-mm. it just seems more apropos but today. End of summer. Officially the last movie month. of the summer. Yeah, this is it. It's been a freaking jam-packed summer, dude. And, and August isn't typically your tentpole month. I mean, that's June, no. July, even May to, to, uh, to a lot of degree, but... August is still there's August is like that diamond in the rough month. Yeah, August is where that they put movies that they're hoping will pull 120, 130 million, but looking to just gain an audience. I mean, you look at the past few years, you've had what well, you've had the classic blunder of putting Conan and Fright Night on the same weekend. Yeah. Um, last year, the, the big movie that was kind of a bit of a misstep was Total Recall, the, the reboot. That came out in August. Because it was unnecessary. And just, did you ever get around to seeing that? I did. <sighs> the scenes of going through the core were some of the most interminably boring yes. scenes I've ever... How many anti-gravity <clears throat> scenes do you really need in one movie? And it just begs for more originality in Hollywood. Because, you know what? It, it, and I agree with you on that point. But had there not been an original Total Recall... This movie's not as uh, nearly the shambles that it plays off to be. Right. There were, but we, but it's being compared to something. They they where they ripped it off, worked off the original. I mean, it was almost shot by shot. And then where they put originality in there, the original stuff was just flat out boring. Mm. So and and again, they had good ideas. This whole traveling through the core and, and stuff, but they covered it wrong. Right. And it just seemed to drag the movie down. And they, they weren't quick about it either. Because these scenes would go on ten minutes long. Right. And it just got old. So, yeah, Whatever. But here we are. It's we August. Are. It's, it's August. been a hell of a summer. <clears throat> it has been a hell of a summer. I hate to see it go because, well, we live in the north and that means winter sucks ass. It, it does. I mean, <clears throat> and, the, and considering last year, one of our big high points during the winter was a snowstorm that dropped 30 plus inches on us yeah. in a 24 hour period yeah. we're all still smarting about can't, that can't fucking wait for that for the sequel anyway it is the slice and dice podcast number nine steven dan with you here and we'll be reviewing the world's end today the new film by the world's end at the end also the summer's end the as summer's part of it end. this is it's all per- it's all it's about the wrap, uh, the wrap up for the summer However, now usually I scour the net a few days ahead of time before these podcasts going, oh, what's newsworthy? What are we going to discuss on the next one? What do we feel like we can add our two cents or, to? There's no news that comes out this week. Well, you know, there's, <laughs> the, typically it, it can be a struggle to piece together some news sometimes. If, I mean, there, we don't want to sit here and just badger stuff for the sake of badgering and, and just talking about shit that really nobody cares about or, or that we don't care to spend any time discussing. However, today, this week, a bombshell 
hits the world of pop culture. I would argue bombshell may not even be the right word. That um, may be conservative. Yeah. Um, ben Affleck is our new Batman. Let that sink in for a second. This casting shocks me on so many levels. Um, surprises me, certainly. Um, and the amount of backlash that Internet Flamer is throwing out there is possibly unprecedented for news of this sort. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, what is that, um, change.org or something like that? I think that's the website. Somebody started a petition on there that's already got over 50,000 signatures to have this studio remove this. Stand down, fanboy. Right. All right? I, I'm going to, uh, and I will tell you why in a minute. I don't agree with the casting either, but settle the fuck down, people. <sighs> you, the, the People don't really know that Affleck can't pull it off. That, that's... It's all I, presumptuous. I, I'm not a big fan of the casting myself. I could probably come up with more cons than pros. However, I don't want to see them not make this move. I can appreciate putting somebody of Affleck's level in this role. Yeah. And he, he certainly has the build that could pull off Bruce Wayne. I think he had. Yeah, I think he, he has, has the, the look. build. He has the look. However, he also has history. Yes. Um, and as far as acting, I'm not sure that that's a history that makes this any more promising of a venture on the studio's part. Um, now I was, I admittedly in the past, um, you know, 10 years ago, back in the J-Lo and pre, uh, J-Lo era of Ben Affleck, I was a, an Aff- excuse me, an Affleck hater. Didn't like him. He was right. He did it to himself. He, oh, absolutely. He was right in line for me with like Keanu Reeves yep. as far as acting talent. I didn't have anything against him personally. I just thought he wasn't a good actor. No, he, he did some pretty bad movies and then tied himself to J Lo, and he basically became J Lo's accessory, right? Which was obnoxious. And then they roll out that piece of shit Geely together, which I'm still smarting over that well, one. I only got through the first hour and a quarter of it. And he was in a couple of stupid rom-coms. Yep. And, and just, he was just in shit. I mean, his biggest uh, title up to that after he after he broke the cord with Matt Damon there was probably Armageddon. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> definitely. But yeah, there was nothing about Armageddon that said, oh, Matt Dim- or, uh, Ben Affleck was awesome in that. No, it was never about his character. Two other movies which a lot of people love to hate. Personally, I like both of them, but they're cheesy, horrible. He was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Phantoms is one, and <laughs> Reindeer, Reindeer Games is the other. They're terrible films, Yeah, but I love them in their, in their cheesiness. Right. And I had contended for the longest time that Affleck just rode the coattails of Matt Damon into his celebrity status. Like if you watch Family Guy, it's pretty clear well, what their opinion is. Well, yeah, and, and and without a doubt, Matt Damon is ten times the actor that Ben Affleck is. Right. However, Affleck has grown on me over the years, much to do with his directing talents. Which he's done incredible. He's work. one of the best young directors in Hollywood today. And he hasn't been bad in his own movies. And he, exactly. But I've contended, and I wrote it in my article, and Argo not so much, because it was more of a, 
it, it wasn't. It didn't take place in the city of Boston per se. But the town, you got to look. Well, out. the town and Gone Baby Gone, which were, were all when he can fall back into his Southie Boston accent and patrol his own yep. backyard, Affleck can pull off decent enough acting. Mm-hmm. In Argo, he was decent enough. <clears throat> Argo was just was such a well crafted and shot and for the film. In spite of Ben Affleck as an actor in that, nothing stood out to you in Argo about Ben Affleck's performance here. It was about Alan Arkin and John Goodman, and it was about the tension that was built into the story around. For me, it's how tense the entire situation Hmm. was. Unbelievable. And how well the the rest of the actors, of the... Basically, the former hostages pulled off their mm-hmm. role because they certainly played it like they were in a life or death situation. We got to get the hell out, right? Um, so for me, although Affleck has grown on me, Affleck in my mind is still a very average actor at best. I don't disagree. not a great actor. Now, in this scenario with the Superman Batman flick, it's not so much that he has to pull off Batman. That you can put anybody in the cowl and... Well, you can't put anybody. But you can put a lot of people in the cowl and get away with a lot. No, the, co- the cowl does half of the acting. All you have to do is, is be able to move. Right. Now, Bruce Wayne's another story. And for me, this is really about... Can, can Ben Affleck play Bruce Wayne? I, not I Batman. Agree. And there's where I'm like... Nah, I, I don't think I can see... Bruce Wayne on the screen, I think I'm going to see Ben Affleck on the screen. Yeah, and that's been my fear all along, is he is at that level. Again, not being a great actor, but you're still going to constantly think this is Ben Affleck. Yeah. And I, I don't want to think that when I'm watching Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, my other fear is, and this is a timeline kind of question, can he... Do the at least three movies I think he's going to be required to do. And where is this going to fall in the timeline? Because I have no issue if we have come, if we're at a, uh, the Dark Knight level time frame where it's X number of years in the future, enter Superman, he's pissed off about what Superman's done to Metropolis. So if we have a 40 to 50 something Bruce Wayne, I can live with that, but that's got to be what they're going for if you're rolling Ben Affleck out. Well, we're, yeah, I agree, because he's, he's what, now 42-ish? Yeah, and by the time we shoot, we'll say, three movies, he's going to be pushing 50. Yeah, don't don't even think about that far, because that means I'm pushing over 50. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to tie it, dude, well, but... Uh, um, yeah, I... I well, there was some news that broke today, and I don't remember the site that broke it, but and I have and I have not confirmed it, but apparently Affleck has signed on for a multi-film deal. You'd think with that would have had to have been part of it. Um, yeah, apparently he signed on for three flicks, and there's still some rumblings out there that this all could entail him actually uh, directing the Justice League movie down the road. Uh, I look. I say let's just let's just wait and see how the first movie here plays right. out before we get too excited about what can happen beyond. Because, quite frankly, I'm not as excited for this movie as I would be if it was more of a, a an unknown name going into this because it just seems like such a desperate ploy on the part of DC here 
that yeah. they, that they it, it's it's to me this is very similar. Now I'm not I'm not certainly not going to put these two guys in the same bucket because because one is leaps and bounds better I think. But this is very similar to me than the whole Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern thing. You're you're banking on this essentially megastar. Yeah, they're putting a name ab- above their lead character. Right, and that's how that's what I how I framed it in my article was that. DC, Marvel has succeeded because they take their characters and they take it out to an actor that they know can pull off that thing. Mm-hmm. DC is trying to wedge a name into one of the characters. And people that want to argue against that by saying, well, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. was nothing before he took on the, the role in Iron Man. No, but... He, 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 he'd been something and had basically lost his career. This was what but Robert Downey Jr. Regardless, you knew that the Iron Man character, the Tony Stark he character, could be Tony Stark fit because that fit was Robert what, Downey Jr. what right. was Robert Downey Jr. during his fall. Exactly, exactly. You couldn't have said, "Hey, Leonardo DiCaprio, you're going to be Tony Stark." No, it wouldn't have worked. No. Um, so, that, and that's where where Marvel has succeeded is that they found the right actor for the character, and DC is is thinking. Actor first, character second, mm-hmm. and for me, Ben Affleck just doesn't pull off Bruce Wayne. No, I, I can't really see it happening. Now, and he may surprise me, and and I'm I'm, I'm not going into this saying, God damn it, I won't see the movie. I, I will certainly see the movie, sure, and yeah. I'll give it a chance. Mm-hmm. But I'm a little concerned because I liked the casting of Henry Cavill, and I mm-hmm. certainly believe that after seeing The Man of Steel, we had our issues with the movie. None of it was around the casting of Henry Cavill. Right. In fact, I would argue none of it was around casting whatsoever. And I, this, I would rather have seen maybe not a peer of Henry Cavill because that's not. I'd rather see somebody of the same level though as Henry Cavill, where people may know him from something else. But the name isn't bigger than the character. Right. And I know a name that you... I won't bring up John Hamm because people have brought that one up. And I don't know. But I think it was a Joe Manganiello from True Blood. That so doesn't work. I, in my mind, that doesn't work at all. Because I, I, I still think to a certain extent this is somebody who people would be wanting to see for a different reason mm-hmm. than, who, than what he's going to do with Bruce Wayne. Right. He's the body. That's what they get a lot of the crowd for. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm not cool with that. I, I would have rather, even though I didn't necessarily, I don't know enough about it, when they were talking that kid from uh, Teen Wolf on MTV, at least that's the right level, because that's something they could do. I don't believe he was old enough, but if they could find somebody that's kind of entry level and work into the part. Right. Clearly we're not getting it here, so... I don't know. Well, this is interesting. I mean, if, you know, maybe this is, is exactly what Warner Brothers wanted because we're all going to be talking about this for the next two years. Dude, well, it, it, if you look at anything on Yahoo trending lately, mm-hmm. it's it's gone from Ben Affleck named as the new Batman Bruce Wayne to the number of hate sites that they're linking on how people are pissed off at it. Which is just ridiculous. You know, th- there's plenty more things for you to be concerned about in the world than the Ben Affleck being fucking right. Batman. It is ridiculous. And there's also that part of me that... It's not it, like they made Adam Sandler Batman. Exactly. There's that <laughs> no. part of me that also... Since they're picturing Ben Affleck go, well, did I choose poorly? And I don't think it's any knock on him. 
It's just, this is Internet Flame Boy way yeah. fucking overdoing it. Yeah. Give it a chance, again, with the idea that I've already got a few knocks against it, but it may surprise me. Hey, maybe Affleck's influence sort of reigns Zack Snyder in a little bit. That's an I'm, interesting I'm angle to put a, on there. I'm not, and, and how does Snyder feel? About it? Well, I, I guess Snyder was actually one of the spearheads of this. But but you're it, talking a director that's certainly... You're, you're talking Snyder bringing in one of his peers. And I would argue with a better directorial eye than what Snyder's thrown in there. Well, certainly. I hadn't even given any thought to that angle on it. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, just something to chew on because I like Snyder and I like what the work that Snyder does, and I know he gets a lot of hate out there too for being a hack and and you know just uh, exploitative douchebag and stuff like that. Whatever. I, I don't think that's fair though. But again, I like Sucker Punch a lot. Yeah. And and I, I I took it as being a deeper movie than I think a lot of people did, but I get why people see it as exploitive. I, sure. Fine. I, I, I seem to enjoy the psychological aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And to me, Snyder's done some fun work. Snyder's one of those directors I find that a lot of people like to say they dislike. Mm-hmm. But my God, if that's the case, well, who drove 300 up to be the 200 plus million dollar blockbuster ended up being? I, uh, uh, you, you just have to take it with a grain of salt with all the hate and stuff like that. Because... Because the reality is, uh, 75 to 80% of the stuff out there is just people regurgitating other people's opinions right. because they're too stupid to come up with one by themselves yeah. or lazy to come up with one by themselves. Yep. Um, it just know, has a snowball effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to just, it, it's easier to just hide behind everybody else's opinion because it's safe. Mm-hmm. Because you're not standing out in the crowd going, oh, there's that guy. You're not being... Uh, condemned for being that guy who liked that or, or didn't like that. Just, just you know, change a few words in somebody else's review and pawn it off as your own. Mm-hmm. That that that's eighty percent of what the internet is. Yeah, no question. So anyway, um, I, I'm not I'm not on board with this casting for a lot of the reasons we just mentioned. I I, I ultimately don't think this was the right choice. However. I'm willing to let it play out. And yeah, see we're not willing to stand on a soapbox and no. start screaming foul. No, I, I you know, whatever. It, it, I would if it was Adam Sandler. <laughs> but, but Well, no, I, I want to do that anytime Adam well, Sandler's sure. cast in the film. Even sure. if Happy Madison's the one who did it. Oh, fucking brutal. Um, a couple other little minor tidbits of news. We have our Rocket Raccoon, uh, at least in voice, and it is Bradley Cooper. I find it okay. intriguing because he's not one of those guys I picked. I, 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 I've seen plenty with Bradley Cooper in it. I couldn't tell you exactly what his voice is like, though, if I think about it whatsoever. He's not doesn't come off as voice actor guy to me at all. It's no. Bradley Cooper, right? So I, I don't know that this is great casting. It's I, and maybe this is a good thing because they had talked. I heard them talking at one point about John C. Riley and, and, and that, no, then you'd be picturing then you're John just C. Riley. Just picturing John C. Riley. I love Wreck It Ralph, but every time they had Wreck It Ralph say something with John, John C. C. Riley, and that that is problematic. But I don't know. It it could be good. Yeah, it, whatever. I, I don't know who they're trying to target with this casting. I'm more concerned just to see how they're going to pull off the raccoon on screen than rather than what he sounds like. I would agree. 
I, everything I've heard, and again, not having read a single page of Guardians of the Galaxy. No. It's my understanding that Rocket Raccoon is an absolute badass, and yeah, it'll be I hope it'll be fun. I, but I also hope it's not a CGI mess. Well, we're gonna find out. They did the Hulk right, mm-hmm. yeah, and obviously CGI. Let's yeah, let's find out. They did it right at least in the Avengers. Correct. Um. And guess what nobody in the world asked for, outside of, like, China? Uh, hemorrhoids? Pirates of the Caribbean 5. That's worse than hemorrhoids. I think I'd rather have hemorrhoids. Yeah, that that's worse than getting a catheter put in, I think. Uh, yeah, or, or worse, pulled out. Oh, good point, good point. Um, yeah, whether we wanted or not, we knew Pirates 5 was coming, and you know what, I... I actually had written it down because I had the uh, the title of it. And it's not Dead Men's Chest because that one's already been up. It was some lengthy ass shit. But it, it was another it seafaring reference. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, something about the the Dead Men Don't Tell Tales. Yeah, that's what it was. Like that. Because they they can't find any other yo ho ho. Actually, that one they haven't done yet. Yo-ho-ho with a bottle of rum hasn't been done yet. How about Pirates of the Caribbean 5, everything after the second one sucked? Yeah. The the, the last one was so bad. I didn't and, bother. And you know me. I am a completist. You paid to see that. I, I well, I did. I, I, I am a completist. However, and as much as it pains me, I am not going to spend one fucking dime... On Pirates of the Caribbean 5. You might because you stopped trying two movies ago. Yep. You did a good job with the first one. I enjoyed the first one. First one's a great movie. It was fresh. It was funny. It was mm-hmm. unique. Depp was in his heyday at the time. And, and he they created, created this character. They created a character and a story that I didn't think you could pull off from basically a ride at an amusement park. Right. And it was a, it was just a whole lot of fun. Yep. That is what a summer blockbuster is supposed mm-hmm. to be. Then they came out with the second one, and I'm like, all right, it's nowhere near as good as the first. It's not a complete train wreck, and I forgive it a little bit because rarely is the second movie, rarely you're going to strike lightning tw- uh, twice with the same. And concept. they tried some originality in the second right. one. The third one was a complete I train didn't wreck. Bother. And the fourth one was nothing more than people trying to, to cash a paycheck. Johnny Depp sleepwalking through the character at this point. A stupid story for no other reason that, than audiences are just eating this shit up. Yeah. And it made billions of freaking millions upon millions of dollars, especially overseas. So what happens? You bankroll a fifth movie. They weren't trying in the fourth. What makes you think they're going to try in the fifth? The question is, though, will this do well? Of course it, it will. Is there, Maybe not as well. I was going to say, is there now becoming a backlash of Johnny Depp in costume? Or is that only a backlash around our set? But if you get some, we'll say, 55-year-old adult wants to take their kids to the next Pirates movie because they've seen every other one, they will. is that what... This, this franchise is banking on now. I, I think that's absolutely what they're banking on. Plus, like you said, I mean, it's it's not even so much about American box offices anymore. Mm. If, if the overseas crowd is into it, and, and that's they're, they're addicted to that character. A lot, of, a lot of movies are getting sequels because of what's happening overseas. 
And it scares me that eventually the studios are going to start making these things and marketing to those people. And they're just going to completely screw over the American audiences altogether. Mm -hmm. um, this, is just, this is just bullshit cash grab. I, you know, and, and I lose a lot of respect for Johnny Depp even doing it. At what point, if you're Johnny Depp, do you just go, look, come on. We've beaten this dead horse. To me, you're just selling out at this point. You're only collecting your paycheck. Just stop. Stop with this character before you completely destroy the legacy of Captain Jack Sparrow. Which Whatever legacy was, it would be. Which, well, well, exactly. It's, that would have been one of the could have been one of the coolest cinematic characters of all time had you not completely just spent about an hour and a half past your fifteen minutes of fame. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I mean, wasn't, wasn't so he nominated for an for an Oscar for that role? I know that movie got nominated for something, and it may have I been him for Sparrow. I don't remember. Because maybe going back to what 2000, 2002? Uh, early two thousands. I don't remember exactly, but early two thousands. So I, I, it could be that he was. I'm just not remembering. <sighs> it. Just, just stop. All right. So that's really all in the world of news today. We shall. Uh, we shall move on. We're no douche of the week this week, so we'll again default to Justin Bieber. Yeah, well, and he's again has enough douche-like tendencies that they'll carry over. Right. So uh, we'll break here for a second and come back with our summer movie review. Got a lot of apologies to make. Nothing's been the same since New York. You experience things, and then they're over. I can't sleep. And when I do, I have nightmares. Honestly, there's a hundred people who want to kill me. I hope I can protect the one thing I can't live without. Fast. 
Does it live on the Great Plains of Africa? No. Hey! What is going on? Hold on, guys. Daddy, be careful on the road. Francisco. The second attack hit Manila. Then the third one hit Cabo. Then we learned this was not gonna stop. Ready to go again? What do you want me to do? Hit me. You're a 15 year old girl. joining us every night. Colonel Stars and Stripes reporting for duty. Try to have fun. So how are you going to remember the summer of 2013 for movies? Honestly? Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, missed opportunity. Mm. I, I, my expectations really were not met this summer. Summer of disappointment. Yep. Um, some of the movies were close, and then they uh, did something that just yeah, not took the me summer out. of utter failure. Oh no, the no, no, no. Of disappointment. Because the movies I truly disliked, I went in thinking I was going to dislike. Right. And one of them was be discussed here. <laughs> one of them, I'm, I'm sure, one of our categories will align. <laughs> Align like the freaking stars. But certainly, there, there were... A lot of the movies this summer had me up to a certain point, and then something would happen in the movie, and it would take me out of it. Yeah, well, that's what I would say. Every every tentpole movie, with the exception of the one that we'll, that's going to end up on, I think, both of our worst list, there was something I could take away from every one of them. Oh, yeah. In a lot of instances, I got half... Of a great movie. Mm-hmm. And then I got half of a movie that just didn't work. Right. So ultimately you have to sort of land in the middle, yeah. and which is mediocrity. Right. You come up with the 2.5 to 3. The, yeah. eh, the You can always tell one of those reviews because they will we'll probably start with the, the higher pitch. Well, it was good up until this point. Yeah. And there was a lot of that yeah. this summer. There, there was. So... With that said, and I know we had a, a little bit of a conversation about this the other day, about favorite versus best. Hey, I, I can land on favorite. I'm good that way. All right. Because I think you were trying to allude that that your favorite doesn't have to necessarily be the best movie of the summer. But you were kind of thinking with your Oscar head at that point, I think. Right. I, I was. Um, I, I'm thinking on a purely... I'm going on... Now, I've changed it to just summer movie level... 
here's what I saw, what was my favorite time, which will be the most bang for my buck I came out of it getting what I hoped to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Star Trek Into Darkness. I, 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 I had really high expectations for this, and I'd assumed that we were going to land on Khan at some point. I got everything I'd hoped for from this movie, and certainly... I think they upped Khan, who, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the five best sci-fi villains to ever hit the big screen. I think Benedict Cumberbatch's version is ten times better. I know that when we did our review of that movie, and our, we discussed the news topic that involved casting a villain, and we both landed on, fucking give it to Benedict Cumberbatch right now. I can't tell you what it was. But he could be any sci-fi villain. He could be any comic book villain. Star Trek Into Darkness, though, captured everything I love about the Star Trek universe. And as far as I'm concerned, it built upon the amazing movie Abrams had given me at first. On the first go-around. Do I get why some people feel that he was either pandering or got lazy? I, I get that. But for me, for my money, that's the movie I, A, came out thinking was the best and most complete, and B, I had the most fun seeing. Mm. That's what a summer movie's about. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't debate that at all. And as far as the, the tentpole blockbusters of the summer, I'm right there with you. It was clearly my favorite amongst them, um, but I will say it was my favorite amongst them. The movie that that has stuck with me through the whole summer, the one that I can't wait to revisit, the one that I want to see, I want to see commentary from the filmmakers and all stuff of of, of what they were thinking when they did stuff. Um, and it's a movie you haven't seen. My favorite movie of the summer is The Way Way Back. Yeah, and uh, um, honestly, I tried like hell to find a stream for and it. It's, and it's very summery in that it takes place at summer on the coast mm-hmm. in the water park and all that stuff. Just fantastic cast, fantastic story. Uh, again, you know, it's it's I don't know in vogue for some people to shit on this movie as being lacking in substance and stuff like that. Fuck you! It was a great time for movies, and the performances alone are just worth it. I can't wait to see um, this movie. Yeah, for me, it was the best. It, it was my favorite movie of the summer per se. But I'm right on board with everything you said about Star Trek. Loved it, and and honestly, I think surprise is where my more art house films going to fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, segueing right into that nicely, uh, what was your biggest surprise of the summer? Lovelace. Um, I honestly thought that this was going to be either <laughs> a, a cheesy attack the porno industry biopic or, or B, it was going to be almost some totally over the top mess. I'm going to discuss it in far more detail when we get to what we watched. I went into it with those fears and came out of it thinking it's one of the best acted movies I'd seen all year. Amanda Seyfried was amazing in the role. I liked the way that they told it. And again, I'll get into it later. But going in expecting very little, I came out of Lovelace thinking it's one of the best films I'd seen in a long, long time. Considering what I went into expecting, that is clearly my biggest surprise of the summer. Nice. Um, 
Mine, my biggest surprise of the summer, a movie that was going to either work for me in a big way or it was not going to work for me at all, especially based on the fact that I didn't even really like half the people that were in it going into it. For me, the biggest surprise was This is the End. That's um, a fitting one. For just the sheer amount of laugh-out-loud moments that, that this cast put into this movie, it was easily the funniest movie of the summer for me. It was great. Um, it, I can't wait to see it again. I don't know how, how many times this plays off and keeps its edge. I, I'm, I'm expecting I can get another viewing out Yeah, of it. I think this is a two-viewing movie. Um, but for me, it was it was <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just freaking hilarious. Right down to the, uh, Backstreet Boys finale. <laughs> Which I know was your favorite part. Well, the thing is, though, it, 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 it fit that movie. That movie was just so fucked up at times that rolling out the Backstreet Boys and having them do a number in heaven just seemed to tie the movie together in the end. So, yeah. I, dude, This is the End was a great film. Um, I actually had kind of a two-parter here because I, I had gone back and forth. And I'll throw this out here as my 1A to surprise, more of an honorable mention. Um, and one that nobody's thinking about. But I got quite a bit of, uh, more out of Behind the Candelabra than I would expect yeah, I to have it. ever gotten out of, of a film with that much man love. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast, was it Corolla's? Where the guy was talking about how much he actually loves that freaking movie. Maybe it wasn't Corolla. There's one I caught last week, and they were talking about how much they truly love Behind the Candelabra. That it was just a great movie, and yeah. that what those two actors did in that role, in those roles, is just insane. The performances are, are mm. incredible. Incredible. Hmm? Um, yeah, like you said, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So. I don't need to see Michael Douglas and Matt Damon macking on each other anymore, but but yeah, it, it was you know Soderbergh hit that one out of the park. Between that and Side Effects this year, Soderbergh and uh, Side Effects was brilliant. That was a fantastic, was great stuff. It was a little prior to summer though, so being back in February. But mm-hmm. um, so anyway, biggest disappointment. Mine's easy, Elysium. Mm. I was so fucking excited for Elysium and Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim, I think, was my favorite popcorn movie, and uh, this is this is where I was struggling. This is where I love Pacific Rim. Can't wait to see it again. But holy fuck, does that movie have flaws? Elysium, Prometheus, like yeah, Elysium. Though I don't care to ever see this movie again. It really. The more I think about it, the angrier I get about this film. And I... How many times did I say this was on my top five list for the summer? Yeah. Top three. Elysium is one of the bottom-dwelling films of the summer in the long run. Mm. Uh, There's nothing to really even hang your hat on with this film. There's nothing. It was a fucking uh, economic harangue with... Plot holes that are so fucking massive, you can't even try to talk yourself out. And the most brutal Jodie Foster performance of her career. And and it had Matt Damon in the role I liked, but I just don't think I liked the character. So, yeah, Elysium's mine. I really couldn't wait for that film, and I just felt I got kicked in the pills in the end. No, I I totally respect that that thing. I didn't have the level of excitement for Elysium that you did, so... 
yeah, while I agree with everything you said, uh, for me, the one I was probably most excited for and walked away di- more disappointed was Iron Man 3. That's That would be my, my um, number two. You know, and, and that's one of those instances, like we mentioned to earlier, where for about 45 minutes, I was getting one hell of a brilliant Iron Man movie. And then when they pull the big twist on you, it just fell apart for me at that point. Because now I wasn't dealing with the same character structure. No, they all of a sudden became a a lethal weapon film with a goofy goofy non-villain. Yeah. And, again... For my and I get this is where a lot of people are going to claim that we're being whining pains in the asses. I'm not, but, I'm not begrudging anybody liking right. it. The villain to me that they created in the end was nowhere near what they could have had. Right. Instead, all we have is in the end is a guy who's angry because Tony Stark stood him up. Yeah. For a for a cocky mamie idea, even though Tony Stark was getting laid on New Year's Eve. Right. That's what their plot device. So instead, the dude for revenge plots to take down the world. Mm-hmm. Really, this is whereas what they had beforehand was terrorist mega mind joining up with insane software provider who's holding a grudge. Now we have something. Mm-hmm. Now we have a duo that could be nasty. That if you had that terrorist mastermind that could convince him, you want to get back at Tony, then let's take down the planet because that's the one thing Tony will take care of no matter what. You have a much better villain. Yeah. Instead, no, we get him drinking Bud Lights, and we get those the ridiculous uh, lethal weapon s scene on the freaking uh, and the, and the death scene that meant nothing. Oh yeah, it just that movie. I I was so bummed with that. I yeah. couldn't wait to see it, and just don't care to see it again. Right. Uh, which brings us to. <laughs> Uh, we we could have just called this yeah it, it's the worst movie uh, and again this is the worst movie we've seen right um, I'm sure there I, are I, worse I, ones well, but I don't, I don't I'm know not, I'm not willing to put any money on that but After Earth was absolutely atrocious it was a fucking train wreck well it had three strikes on it going in it had the M Night Shyamalan Ding Dong mm-hmm. it had Will and his freaking demonic spawn yep. It, everything pointed to this was just going to be bad. But there we were. And it was worse. Well, it, it pointed to it being bad, but the levels of wretchedness that this movie hit, <laughs> it's, I, it's almost hard to describe. Again, we're talking a movie that, when I saw it, I sat in the back row. And I had... Sorry, we didn't see this together. No, this is your Hobie weekend. That's right. So you had to, you had to put, throw it in there. And I, I went in, and it's a Saturday afternoon, there were like four other people in the theater. So I chose the back row, and I pulled out... I was getting so angry, I pulled out my iPhone, was taking notes during the movie. And I had probably 30 lines of notes on things that I found fucking horrible. That was in the first 40 minutes. And finally I gave up and basically said... The movie's a piece of shit. Yeah, it's just through and through. There, there was just—I don't even know where you begin with it. No, this this is a movie that has virtually no redeeming qualities. No, no, and I, I know a lot of people. Well, it's damn night. I would contend that oh, it has had very little to do with it. I had a lot more problems with the Smiths in this than I yeah. did M. Night. No, M. Night did no favors for this movie. No, but what Jaden Smith gave for a performance uh. to me. 
is the worst Pfizer Elysium. Oh my god, that was horrible. And it just shows you that he's not ready to be 90% of the film. And a lot of people thought, well, it's a Will Smith film. Yeah, until you see it. And it's not. He's only in it for about 10% of the film. And what little he is, his character sucks. And he doesn't even do a good job with it. It's just horrible. Yeah, it's horrible all around. If you haven't seen After Earth, don't. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, don't. And do us a favor. Don't run out and buy the Blu-ray or DVD uh, and drive up sales so yeah. they, the studio thinks they've got something here. Because yeah. when they did this, the thought was that they had a tentpole. That <laughs> this is going to be a franchise. There's nothing here to build a franchise from. No, it's horrible. Um, and your best performance of the summer? I've already said mine. Amanda Seyfried was mine. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, for me, it was, uh, it was Sam Rockwell. In the way, way back. Again, I want to um, see this movie. I have a feeling I'd change my list yeah, if I see I mean, that. You know, it's hard. It, it's hard to put some of the uh, the tent pole. This, this the performance it's, well, wise, it's got to be. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to say Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man right. or, or Chris Pine, is unless you're the MTV uh, uh, Movie Awards. Well, then you would. Then you'll say right. Best Acting, Kristen Stewart, Ro- Robert Pattinson. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. Uh, it, it's Sam Rockwell. It's it's going to be hard for me to find five other best supporting actor roles this year that for that one to be knocked out for mm-hmm. me. Um, he he was brilliant in it. Carell was good. Rockwell was great. Yeah, I I, I got to see um, this film. On, on a secondary note, there, and I don't remember exactly when this movie came out. Um. But Matthew McConaughey in Mud. Well, I would have put that on, but I thought that that was a spring film. Oh, no, it actually came out right around the same time as Iron Man 3. So Did it? You could. You All right, could then I put 1A Matthew McConaughey. Absolutely. Because when that film ended, I'm like, he's got to get uh, some kind of a nod. It's Absolutely. Nom him for, for best supporting actor because technically he wasn't the lead actor. Technically, the wow. kids were. I think the kids, you know, Ty Sheridan. He was out. incredible. Yeah, he was absolutely incredible. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, you know, a couple movies we didn't really touch on in the review here. Man of Steel, I think it falls a lot into that category that we were talking earlier of. Great first half Until of the movie. Until it derails. Until it derails into just a big CGI fight. Yeah, the, the, the let's destroy Metropolis, otherwise known as, hey, that building's left untouched. Right, exactly. Um... Before Midnight for me would classify as one of the better movies of the of the uh, of the summer. Certainly, you know it's about as indie as it gets. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about any kind of temple here. Um, another one I think that could have fallen on my uh, biggest surprise list, but it wasn't strong enough of a movie overall. But 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 I got a lot more out of it than I thought I would. Was World War Z. That one shocked me. And it's funny because if I look back at the summer, that's the one I seem to forget I've seen. But I went in expecting that thing to be a horrible, and I got some enjoyment out of it. Yeah. So, absolutely. If, and again, there's certain scenes I don't like. The, the whole zombie pile to go over the walls, let alone getting into the whole walled Jerusalem yeah, part. Yeah, the, the CGI thing. You know, there were some potholes, but yeah. But I the mean, story was, itself was good. Yeah, it, was a lot, it was a lot more fun than I thought it yep. was going to be. Um, 
the Wolverine was a disappointment no. to me. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just wasn't getting anything out of that. I, and I don't think we're alone because no one's even talking about that movie anymore, dude. Nah. It's, it's three weeks, four weeks later, and it's just gone. From a horror perspective, we had The Conjuring, which I thought was a pretty tight little, uh, yeah, that, little horror that flick. That was a decent flick. Um, I'm, I'm ex- usually excited to see what James Wan's going to do next, and we're only mm-hmm. a couple weeks out from Insidious Chapter 2, yep. which I'm looking forward to. Um, and another movie we'll talk about uh, in some greater detail. And actually, I have a, 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 quite a few movies that were summer movies that I'll be talking about that we didn't really touch on here, but lesser. Um, but one of them, Kick-Ass 2... Um, you know, it is a movie that, that I got what I wanted out of Kick-Ass right. 2. Um, there's nothing special about it, but... It's a, well, looking back, Kick-Ass itself wasn't a perfect film, no. but it was a goddamn fun film. Right. And it's one that's worth returning to every now and then, so... Right. So, without further ado, we will break here real quick and then come back with what we watch. Yes, sir. Come on, Addy. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife, bigger than life. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the movies anyway. Let's go to the movies, Annie. You know, I actually like that music. (laughs) Every time it starts in, it's like... It's the only only cinematic sounder I can find to to launch into this. But I I dig it. It's 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 fine. It's it's got that classic sound. And it's so... Well, I was I, I was gonna say it's it's so not us, but that's actually couldn't be further from I the truth. Say it's exactly it us. is us. <laughs> it's exactly us. Um, so we actually saw some flicks. We have, we did. Um, we'll talk about the big one that we've both seen together. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't see it together, but we've both seen. Right, Kick Ass Two. One of our more anticipated flicks of the summer. And certainly, once they announced they were doing it, we were on board with it. We have shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, Concerned Kick-Ass 1 didn't exactly make the money. No, it made it all on DVD sales. Yeah. After. And, and quite frankly, I don't I don't see this going past the second movie. Um, it's no. not doing well at all. Even if this were to uh, to do well again in in I read uh, this DVD. thing dropped like 80% in week 2. Yeah, well... You knew that we knew that we knew this wasn't going to be any kind of cinematic blockbuster. You all right? Over there? Um, you're saying it laid an egg. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't see these actors returning to this universe again. No. Even if they were, Chloe's better than this. Even Aaron Johnson's moving Not on to bigger, really better things. To. Nah. Um, I think this is this will end the Kick-Ass experiment. Um, I got I got everything I wanted out of Kick-Ass. It's a Kick-Ass movie. Um. You know, you can sit here and debate how the first one had more to say about what it would be like if people, if everyday people decided to become superheroes. Yeah, but that's what the first one was about. Mm -hmm. We didn't really need to revisit that conversation again. No. This one here was just more of a a fun interpretation off of the first one. The knock I keep hearing is that for a kick-ass movie, this felt... 
like far more of a Hit Girl movie. Now, not having read didn't have enough of Hit the Girl. comics. It's my impression though that the Kick Ass Two, the comic series, was far more about the growth of Hit Girl. Also, well, see, I don't see where this wasn't about the growth of of Hit Girl. Um, it was certainly, I think they definitely kept this all very surface level. There wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't what any any huge depth to those no. concepts here. And, and I think that's where a lot of people complain. There was some depth in the first movie that you didn't get here, which is fine. I didn't need much more depth. Um, this this was a movie that actually stayed quite true to the Kick-Ass 2 mm-hmm. comics. Let, let's take on the elephant in the corner, though. Kick-Ass, the first one. Kick-Ass is a fine character. It's all about Hit Girl and Absolutely. Big Daddy. As was this. It so, was all about Hit Girl. Kick-Ass itself isn't that interesting, and it's not mm-hmm. supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's that you're right. If the average schmo decides to be a superhero, chances are he just gets his ass kicked and things end badly. Right. But you could have... This is... Hit Girl and Big Daddy are... On the other hand, you have Insane Dad looking to avenge what happened to him, so he trains his daughter... And the two of them become this nasty the, the renegade duo. Mm. That's a fun set of characters. And it's the first time I've liked Nick Cage in anything in years. Drive angry, dude. Drive okay, alright. Because that is just tailor-made. Right, that, that, is, that is so <laughs> intended to be. Between Nick Cage and William Fickner, it's, right. it's a great film. But, yeah, Kick-Ass 2 just gave me more of what I was expecting from Kick-Ass. Right. You, you, yeah, okay, they upped the ante a little bit around Red Mist's character, but you knew that going in. Right. And again, that goes along with the comic series. Right. So, what's killing me is the number of people that are trashing it for the movie, I don't know, going awry. But everything I've heard is that it stuck with the comic fairly well. So, you okay. can't really knock that, if, unless you want to knock the source material. But the only, the biggest knock I have about what, uh, that they should have just... Avoid it altogether. It was one of the situations they should have either avoided it altogether or just gone with it. And they would have they would have received complete hell if they had just gone with it. And it's it's the uh, the rape scene from the comic book. And I want to say it was actually Kick Ass's girlfriend Katie. Uh, yeah, I'd heard um, that in the book. And I don't remember. It's been a while since I read it. But anyway, where the motherfucker, uh, aka Red Mist from the first one. Um, Comes up to this to this girl and says, "It's time to uh, find out what evil dick tastes like," and he rapes her in the comic book. Well, they allude to that in this in this one, but in this case, it's Night Bitch, right? Yeah, one of the other superheroes that's part of the team, and he makes that line. But that's where it ends. Where in the book, it doesn't end there. The mm. book is the book is graphic about it. It, it didn't need to be there. You, you could have. And I know the I know the reason it was there is because they were trying to hurt somebody that meant something to Kick Ass, so that Kick Ass would come looking for them and they could take Kick Ass down. I think you could have you could have altered your story to have still accomplished that type of thing mm-hmm. here. Um, and I and I thought it, and I thought it played flat because the fact that you had to somehow feel like you had to throw that line in there just felt flat. Yeah. I, I would have liked, and this sounds kind of stupid because, again, it's a kick-ass film. I would have liked a little more of just 
the new league of whatever they call themselves as a unit. Mm. And even five more minutes of them out, I don't know, saving cats from right. trees or whatever else. Right. Because we certainly got enough, enough of the toxic mega cunts. Is that what they call themselves? That was... Something like that. That was uh, the uh, motherfuckers group. Yeah. We got plenty of them. And I almost felt we got a little robbed of... All right, let's see more of... Kick-Ass's group. Right. And since we weren't really getting Hit-Girl at that part of the story, we were getting Mindy, but we weren't getting Hit-Girl. And that's part of the story, and I had no issue with that part of the story. Then I would have liked more of Night Bitch. And yeah. and more of the the the, 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 the married couple, yeah, the married couple was <laughs> that, awesome. Where the the mom with the 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 bag with bricks in it that yeah. she's beating guys with. Yeah. And I'm going to throw this out there. I would have liked more from Stars and Stripes. Sure, because as much as I despise what Carrie did going into this movie, I just don't like Carrie. I at no point though, as I was watching it, had the fear that I thought I was going to that I was going to just feel like Jim Carrey. Right. They did a great job of prosthetics. Yeah, I liked the character enough, and I really felt that the exit strategy on his character came too soon. I wanted more from it mm-hmm. because I actually found it funny as shit when they were rolling him out. I actually found that character likable. Right, and I didn't get enough of it. That, that, and that's kind of where I fall is. I love the toxic mega cunts, and to me, they were they Mother were, Russia. Mother Russia was awesome, dude. Yeah. And black black death, and I love yeah. and uh, what Genghis kill, and and I love the conversation that motherfuckers having with Leguizamo's character. And Leguizamo's like, yeah, you keep going racist with these names, and he's he's and it wasn't he said it wasn't racist. It was like. Not even followed stereotypes, but basically locking onto their main tribute or some <laughs> attribute. And it was funny as shit. Yeah. And as much as they gave us there, I don't think they gave us enough of the league that Kickass joined. Yeah. And this one, I would argue, was more about the motherfucker and Hit Girl, and far less about Kickass. In fact, I would think that his story arc had very little the only real thing was with his dad and i didn't care that much about that yeah. so i i certainly enjoyed the movie from the book. and and I, I i certainly enjoyed the movie enough though i got a kick-ass film yeah i couldn't ask for more than that yeah it's certainly not better than the first but yeah it, no but i have no issue with some people say it was because i know for a lot Spoiler alert, a lot of people didn't like the whole uh, jetpack thing at the end of Kick-Ass. Mm-hmm. That seems to be, if you jump on the internet, a knock that a lot of people have. I didn't mind it. It went right along with anything else that Big Daddy and Hit-Girl were throwing out there. I think I think why people didn't like that in the first is because it took away from the spirit of everyday person putting on a mask and fighting crime. And I could buy that. Everyday person's not going to get the jet. Right. But if you follow what... Big Daddy and Hit Girl have done all the things. It does sort of. And basically, their character arc being they take down mobsters, they take down drug lords, and every bit of money, they steal every dime from it and use that to bankroll building their empire and buying better weapons. Right. So. Um, For me, three out of five. I'll put three and a half out of five. I'll certainly see it again. I'll probably own it when it hits Blu ray. I don't know that I'll have the same love of the fir- that I did the first one. No. Because I, to a certain extent, I felt like I'd seen it. And let's be honest, as much as you and I are both huge fans of CGM and they could do a Hit Girl movie, I'd be happy with it. 
there was something more interesting about 11 or 12 year old hit girl than there was about 15, 16 year old hit girl. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think it was just because you put that preteen girl into that kind of character it seems so out of left field. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people struggled, but it made for a fun character. Now it seemed a little less fun and a little more realistic. Well, that's not the word to use, but it, it didn't seem as outrageous right. this time around. I think it made for a lesser character. Yeah. Um, you've seen two others, so I'll go first since I've seen three. I, got, I caught up with Stallone's latest, Bullet to the Head. Um, and it was, it was a night that I was so damn tired. I rented this flick when I was so damn tired and I never watched it that night. I actually ended up going to bed at like 8.30 or something, started crashing. Um, so in turn woke up at like 2.30 and was, couldn't get back to sleep. So at about 3.30 I got up and then I watched Bullet to the Head. So I saw this movie at like 3.30 in the morning. Um, and I'll tell you. I enjoyed the hell out of Bullet to the Head. Um, it's not a it's not a great movie by any stretch. It's a it's a Stallone movie. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's a Stallone action flick. Um, it, it's a an, an oddball. I don't want to say buddy cop thing because they're not buddies, but an oddball team up of Stallone, who's a hitman who wants to take down these. Russian mobsters who had his hitman partner killed and the, the cop an Asian guy whose name I cannot remember nor pronounce who is also obviously wants to take down this crime lord and through the circumstances they ended up teaming together. Now the Asian guy whose name I cannot remember nor pronounce was horrible. Absolutely horrible actor. No chemistry with Stallone at all. Stallone was great. Which is interesting, because it's a it's Taiwanese or Korean director, right? Uh, I'm 90% certain Yeah, this I is a so. Korean director. I think so. I'd have to look it up. Um, I, I did, I, this guy did nothing for it. I thought he was horrible of an actor. Um, and, and just did not work with Stallone. But Stallone was good enough to offset that. Stallone was, was a complete badass in this flick. Loved it. Um, Jason Momoa is in it in a supporting role. He's one of the, the thugs of the the, uh, the mafia guy, and he was great in it. He actually actually had to speak. <laughs> you don't see Momoa speak a lot, other than grunts. Um, and I thought he was good. It was just it was a tight little action flick that I enjoyed the hell out of. Oh, I'm wrong, Walter Hill. Uh, um, it, 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 I just enjoyed it. It was. It was fun watching these guys pursue this common interest all while kind of hating each other. Because the Asian guy that was the cop kept, you know, he had no agreement with Stallone in any regard as to the tactics that he used. And Stallone's just this, this guy who's like, you know, he's just killing people at random because that's how you do it. If you want to get it done, that's how you do it. The other guy wants to like, well, let's bring them in. And it's like. You bring you bring him in. He just blows his head off, you know. He said, "Eventually, you're going to have to answer to all this. I'm not going to forget any of this shit." And you know, it, it, it just it builds off of that. And, and I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty tight little uh, little action flick. Well, I've heard plenty of good things about it, dude. Um, yeah, not not great by any stretch, but from an action flick perspective, I give it a three out of five. Well, this director did Brewster's Millions. Oh, it's. <laughs> 
48 uh, hours, though. Yeah. And some of the classic 80s action movies. Extreme Prejudice, Red Heat. Red Heat. So, so another are, 48 hours. So they, they a pedigree here. Yeah, that was kind of what they were going for. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got, I got everything I wanted out of this. Um, yeah, I'll probably never see it again, but... But I thought it was decent. I, I'm sure the title did it no favors at the box office. But I don't think it made yeah. very much. But, you know, a movie no, called Bullet to the Head name. is pretty much targeting a specific group right. of people. Um, but, yeah, three out of five for me. It's definitely, if you're a Stallone fan or a fan of the type of stuff Stallone has done in the past, it's, you know, this is like Cobra-esque in a oh. way. You know, that type of thing. Um, yeah, it's worth a watch. All right. Me? Sure, why not? All right. Well, I'll go into uh, The Lifeguard, which is uh, Kristen Bell. Bell. Oh, right. Yeah, and, and she looks good here. Uh, basically, this is a movie about a, a chick who's 29 years old. She grew up in a quaint little Connecticut town. Um, she was class valedictorian. She leaves the town after graduation, becomes a writer for the AP, living in New York City, has a New York apartment, and finds that she just is still nowhere near as happy as she was. And she was a lifeguard as a high school senior and had no cares in the world. And she does the logical, rational thing, and that's to basically put in for a leave of absence, not wait to see if she actually gets approved, Packs up, moves back to Connecticut, moves in with her parents, and tries to become a lifeguard again and regain that bit of youth. Um, in so doing, she also links up to those friends of hers she had in the town that never left it. However, they grew up. And there's her, her closest female friend, who is the wild child, who's now the assistant principal. And there's her gay but not out of the closet buddy who runs a little studio on quaint Main Street, Main Street, USA. And it's all about how her character just can't get over being an adult. And not only does she bring herself down, but she sucks everybody in around it. So here's these friends of hers that have built this great little living, but as soon as she gets there, it's, no, we need to go get some joints, we need to get hammered, we need to go hang out. What the fuck are you trying to do? You're only in your 20s. And it's... This is the kind of character I find myself truly disliking. And it's a lot like how you and I both saw Young Adult. And I liked Young Adult enough, but the problem with Young Adult is you can't stand Charlize's character. You truly fucking hate her. I hate Kristen Bell's character in this. I hated everything about her as I'm watching it. She does a great job with it. But I found myself thinking, you are just a fucking black hole sucking everything into it. Mm -hmm. It's that's what the character is supposed to be. Um, but their wrinkle is that as she becomes this lifeguard making barely minimum wage for this little condo community pool, she befriends this group of high school kids that all want to drop out because they have dreams of being something bigger. And instead of trying to steer them in the right direction, it's that she appreciates what they're going through and instead starts to have a quote-unquote relationship with one of them. At one point in this movie, you find something in that there's nobody likable in it. And it really starts to bring the thing down. It, it's a great role for Kristen Bell, and she certainly does a hell of a job in it. 
but you just can't like her. And in the end, I don't know that there is enough here. It, it really, I mean, this movie pushes an hour and three quarters, and it starts to feel all of that. Because from the first shot, you get Kristen Bell being mopey about the fact that, oh, Jesus, I'm writing for the AP. I have an apartment in New York where my life really sucks. And at no point can you ever agree with her that her life sucks. You just want to punch her and say, get over it, grow up. You are an adult. And when she starts sucking down her family or her friends with it, her little wild child friend is a husband who's the guy, don't know his name, but you'll know the character right away, from the Dark Knight, he was the one that figured out, that worked for Wayne Enterprises, and figured out that Batman and Bruce Wayne were one of the same. Mm -hmm. And he approached Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman makes the line, so let me get this straight. You want to blackmail the guy who's a vigilante? Good luck. It's that guy. And she plays the husband. He plays the husband of this former wild child, now assistant principal. And he's the sole voice of reason trying to rein her back in. It's all about your friend. You can't be this way. We need to have a family. We need to grow the fuck up. And it, to me, it belabors the point just a little bit. It's it's a good movie. Some people are going to find some great other inner meaning to it. At face value, it's about somebody that won't grow the fuck up and really should. And eh, I'll, I'll give it a 2.5 out of 5. It's, it's worth a viewing. Don't spend a whole lot of money in it. And there's really no repeat viewing factor here. So I saw a flick that a lot of people had put high on their uh, list. Your wife included. Well, wife and kid included. Uh, and they watched it with me, too, so it was their third time seeing this. Uh, a lot of people I know love this flick. Olympus Has Fallen. Uh, I did not like this flick. Um, this movie was nothing more than a diehard ripoff set in the White House. And at many times, it was absolutely point for point diehard in the White House. Only thing lacking here was a yippee Kaye motherfucker. Um, and I think what, what really bugged me about it the most was just the sheer implausibility of everything that I'm watching on screen. Um, and and I, I know, the implausibility of... of of an action movie. A well, yeah, action but movie. I think if you're seeing that kind of movie to a certain but point, least, you'll allow a bit. Well, you will, but at least in Die Hard, I can, I can fathom the concept of a group of terrorists taking over a high-rise building. Mm -hmm. The way that they shot, the way that they approached this whole group of North Korean vigilantes is how they really sort of present it, led by one, like, head super terrorist the way they just come in and just make the whole security system of the united states and the way the white house would be defended look like it was being freaking guarded by a bunch of mall cops was so ridiculously over the top that it lost me completely it, it was just and all it was was interested in Piling up a body count of Secret Service guys and having the one guy, played by Gerard Butler, who was sort of a disgraced Secret Service guy, he was 
sort of in charge of the detail of the president's family when they were on their way to some some big supper or something like that in the middle of a driving snowstorm one of the cars loses control the limo carrying the president crashes on top of a bridge crashes over the thing it teeters for a little bit he pulls out the uh the president from the car and the car goes over with the first lady uh, and she dies Somehow, this disgraced Gerard Butler's character. I don't see how this was disgraceful because I don't really see what other choices he had here. Mm -hmm. I don't see how any of this was his fault. However, he's relegated to a desk job, is nowhere near the White House when all the shit's going down, so he's the conquering hero that shows up and, and is essentially the John McClane character who gets into the White House and takes down all these other guys. I... Dude, it lost me so early with with just the the bullshit of all the of all of it um, that I I just couldn't. I mean, it it steals so much from Die Hard. It steals pieces from uh, Air Force One. It was just it was just that type of flick, and just it seemed like it was a lot more just about the destruction and the body count than it ever was in any kind of redemption and story arc here. I mean, Gerard Butler's fine in it. Um, Aaron Eckhart's the president. He's fine in it. But it, for me, it was just a hollow, empty action flick that I've seen play out way better a million times when it was called Die Hard. Right. I'd be um, curious to see then how you compare it to when White House Down hits. Well, um, which is interesting that in one, what, a four-month period, we have yep, two yep. of the exact same film hitting. Um, yeah, I, this just didn't... I wasn't buying it. Um, it. It ends up at about a one and a half out of five wow. for me. All right. Just it had nothing for it. All right. Well, my final one I've already discussed fairly ad nauseum, but I'll get into a little more detail here. Uh, I caught Lovelace. And to me, this was, again, the biggest surprise of the summer. I didn't expect much. And what really worked for me was the approach that this film took. And... It's basically two different movies. It starts off with the, the story of Linda Lovelace falling for probably not the right guy, played by Peter Skarsgård, who's awesome. And he convinces her to do a porn because he's they get married, he gets in trouble with the law, and figures this is the easiest way to make money. And it's all about how, it, and I think it's funny because I remember this, how Deep Throat was the first porn to hit that real movie level of attraction. How many fucking scars guards are there in Hollywood? It's unbelievable, dude. <laughs> you think like, yeah, there's a bunch of, bunch of Smiths, a mm -hmm. bunch of Wilsons. No. There's it's freaking crazy. a billion fucking scars guards. But it was funny because as you're watching him in this, now having just seen him in The Killing... His voice, I thought I was imagining it. And also my wife looks at me and says, is he trying to channel Holder? What's with his voice? It sounds like Holder. He sounded, literally, every bit of dialogue was spoken as if it was Holder speaking it. And with that weird, not quite a meth addict, but at one point I was kind of delivering. Right. But I get it. It's the 70s. This guy's kind of bad news. Uh, but it was all about, because I remember my parents going to see Deep Throat when it was playing at a real theater in Portland, and they had a date with another set of friends, and they all went to see Deep Throat. It was the movie that everyone saw. 
and how Linda Lovelace was a true celebrity for doing a porno. Mm-hmm. And for the first 45 minutes, that's what this like movie Sarah gets. Abraham. <laughs> Without giving up her ass in her first film, yes. Right, right. But, it, I mean, Linda Lovelace, I remember, was, she was all over TV. They were discussing her on Late Night. I mean, it was, she was really the first well-known name among the porn industry. And, but what's interesting with this movie is, then all of a sudden, it stops. And they cut to Linda Lovelace being given a lie detector test. And it's basically her recanting this whole story of everything that actually happened around what people know and, and, and fleshing it out. For her to get her book deal done that she did eight or ten years after the rise and fall of Linda Lovelace. And the blanks that she fills in and how shitty her life really was. And how everybody saw certain amounts of success and yet she never really saw any of it. A, from the shitty relationship she had with her quote-unquote husband, there's a great scene early on where there's a party going on at a hotel. They've made thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars of money. All the quote-unquote brass from the porno industry is here and Linda's in the next room with her husband, and you hear what they all assume to be fucking going on. Well, it's a, right, it's all a porno party. It's like, all right, Linda. And then they show that the first scene, then 45 minutes later, they show it, and it's him actually beating the fuck out of her and pinning her against the wall. So all the screams you're hearing aren't screams of passion, but screams of her getting the shit beat right out of her because he just couldn't deal with the fact that others may be taking a liking to her. And it really gets into a whole lot around how fucked up a lot of family can be. And it lays a lot of blame and really early on on her parents. And certainly her mother for basically saying she was raised uber rich, uber rich, uber, uber religious. And at one point she leaves her husband and shows up at her mom's house and says, I just need a place to stay for the night. And her mom makes the comment, no matter what, you have to go back to your husband. It doesn't matter what he's doing. Well, what she doesn't realize is her husband had sold her to two different men that night because they wanted to say they spent the night with Linda Lovelace. And it's about how fucked up and how people, how that certain family histories can be. There was acting from Amanda Seyfried in this role that I didn't think she could ever pull off. And I, I mean, I found myself absolutely amazed and happy, for lack of a better way to put it, because people need to remember, this was the movie Lindsay Lohan had signed on to do. And then Lindsay's issues being sent away for a bit came up. They had this major hole in casting. You need to find someone who's going to be willing to play the part, and it doesn't pull any punches. For people that solely want to go in for purity and interest, you get anything you're looking for from that from Amanda. But she nails it. And and she was absolutely brilliant as Linda Lovelace. There was a, she brought a very endearing quality to her, and it it really feels tragic. I can't recommend the movie enough. Final verdict. To me, easy four point five out of five. Wow. 
Because I'm not hearing that great of things about it. I, I'm, I'm not hearing negative about it, but I'm not hearing... One of the common things I'm hearing is people didn't feel like it went enough to show the dark side. But I think to a certain extent, as soon as you say porn, people assume a certain amount of dark side. So I don't think you needed to go that far. Because you assume there to be a certain amount. I don't want to see her constantly getting the shit beat out of her. I want to see the family aspect. And that's where it worked for me. Right. Well, speaking of the dark side, I saw 42. That, was, <laughs> that wasn't a racist comment. Stop it. <laughs> the Jackie Robinson story. Jackie Robinson, the first African American to don a major league baseball uniform. On the uniform. dark side. Um, 42 was a good movie. It wasn't a great movie. For me, it sort of... It, it wants to think it was a lot more profound than it ultimately was. Um, I don't know how historically accurate they turn it to be, but it never felt as... It never felt as doom and gloom that it probably should have. It never felt as gritty as what I imagine reality really was for Jackie Robinson. Yeah, I mean, you have plenty of stupid, hick, white, redneck loser thrown in here lobbing N-bombs and everything at the guy, as you would expect. But it almost felt like they set these scenarios up just for the sake of their movie. And it never really explores how this affected him. Yeah, he mopes around like he's angry because he can't do anything about it, but it never really never really dives below the surface to get at truly what Jackie Robinson was dealing with, which I think they could have because uh, is Jackie Robinson's widow still alive? I believe so. Or did she just recently die? I don't remember. Oh! I think, I think she just recently I died. I think so. If Fairly close to the movie rolling out. Rachel Robinson, I think, is yeah, her name. Because they were making a deal out of but it. But I want to say, there's, there's plenty of people around um, that could have probably added something to the true history of the story to have made this uh, a little bit more darker. But I, I think they I, I think they were just looking for the PG-13 Jackie Robinson story here, mm -hmm. um, ultimately. You know, there's just some decent baseball scenes, but but it never it never really pushes any envelopes. It is what you expect it to be for just a Hollywood movie. Uh, Harrison Ford actually does a great job as Branch Rickey, uh, who's the Dodger, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers owner that uh, was spearheaded bringing Jackie Robinson in. Makes no bones about that that this was sort of a money thing for him more than some honorable thing. However, he did have a certain level of respect, and he, he certainly was not uh, against any kind of African-American involvement in the sport or anything like that. Um, Alan Tudyk plays a the Phillies manager who's just a complete asshole in it, um, does a real good job. And uh, the guy who played Jackie Robinson, whose name escapes me, uh, he did a good job too. Um, like I said, just there's no envelopes being pushed here. There's no... Nothing groundbreaking here, and I, and I I think we got a very I don't know benign look of what Jackie Robinson actually probably did really go through in mm -hmm. this era, um, 
two and a half out of five. Oof. Just right. purely watchable. Just don't expect any kind of true to life story here. Right. Did you want to bring up mud at all? I, I, I'll bring it up. At a very high level, because you've already covered it, so I don't really want to waste a whole lot of time. But I did finally catch mud. And as somebody who was very late to the McConaughey train, and I was, I I really found him to be, oh, it's that fucking surfer dude who's got one trick. He's way, way more than that. And, and I really, a lot like DiCaprio, I realized how wrong I was, or at least the current version of McConaughey. I've got to see everything he does. Mud was an absolutely brilliant film on so many levels. And at times, I, I wasn't certain to if I should be taking it at just face level or how many other layers there were to the film. I, I thought McConaughey was brilliant. Again, Ty Sheridan was brilliant. Neckbone Kid was brilliant in it. Everything about the story was incredible. It, it, I, I looked at Sue when we were watching it. And I said, I feel like I'm watching R-rated Goonies for the cerebral age. Because of the, the amount of wonder. Because I, I pictured you and I as kids. If we were to, to meet this guy, Mud, living in his fucking boat, up in a tree... Out on this island in the middle of fucking cottonmouth infested waters in Arkansas, and how he would be almost superhero like, and he—I mean, the the wonder you would have for somebody like that, even though you'd have in your heart you'd know this is not a good guy, but still there'd be that party you'd just be amazed. Like this is the true survivor. This is just something that you could only wish to be. And I, I found myself just getting lost in the wonderment of the world that they created. Mud, to me, is the best film I've seen this year. And I, I'm not... that It's got nothing to do with recents or anything. It is by far the best movie I've watched all year long. It was fantastic. And you saw Take Shelter, too, right? I did. Yeah. I, I, it, so you're excited now to see what Jeff Nichols does. Yes, I am. <laughs> and, and that was kind of where... Where I landed on it was, I got to see more than this guy does. He's got such a great, great eye for for the beauty and the minuscule. And, and again, just the shots of like the cotton moss in the little pool of water. Or the, going across the river and just the way people are in this little town. I found myself thinking, growing up in the south must really suck. It's such a shitty, nasty existence, but for them, it was just a way of life. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, dude, I, I can't recommend Mud enough. It was a brilliant, brilliant movie. Mm -hmm. And I, Jeff Nichols, I am down for whatever he's rolling out. And I will just uh, mention real quick that I uh, binged watched the final six episodes of I'm Orange is the New Black. I'm jealous of you on this one. Um, this is a show that just gets better and better as it moves along. Um, it, it is the best show not called Breaking Bad going right now. Um, each, each successive episode is more brilliant than the one before it. Um, Taylor Schilling deserves some sort of award recognition for what she pulls off here. And if the chicken episode is the last episode you saw... I encourage you yeah, it is literally to move the last one. forward quickly. 
very quickly. Trust me. <laughs> it, it is. Um, it is the very last episode I saw, and, and to me, that episode was great because I could see that all of a sudden the show was taking on a different feel now that they'd had Piper become part of the population. This has become such a character-driven dramedy, um, and they are they are taking such great pains to flesh out each and every one of these characters. Um, and it pulls no punches, and yeah, it's it's probably not as uh, it's probably not a, a truly accurate look of, of of what I would call minimum security prison, but the characters they bring into this thing and the, the way they flesh them out, it goes dark at points, it goes light at points, and it all just works so well together. Kate Mulgrew, I would also argue, is deserving of some sort of supporting. Oh, uh, shit, I love her in this. Here. Um, but it, it was absolutely brilliant. And it will leave you... It leaves with a lot of questions to be answered, and it leaves with a bit of a cliffhanger ending. Well, I don't know, do I know don't that know. Laura Prepon has been told she won't be coming back. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. That's very interesting, because... Or at least not as a not as a every episode character. Which sucks, because I liked Who, her character. They but told I, her that? Yeah, they, I, I read that as a major news. It was literally a Yahoo headline this week. Not by her own choice? No. Well, I'm curious to see how that plays out then, because there's nothing throughout... There's nothing through the final episode of the season to make you believe that she's going anywhere. Hmm. Um, but I will say that the cliffhanger will definitely leave you wondering what what's next for Piper Chapman. I've got to get caught up on that one. Um, yeah, it, it's it's so well done, so phenomenal. Um, Netflix, you know, I, I haven't seen House of Cards yet, but uh, Netflix has already propelled itself. Well, this show alone has propelled itself over network television. It, Which is interesting it. because we are in the middle of a, 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 a just an amazing season of Dexter. Yes, I'm caught up. Homeland is just around the corner. Walking Dead. Then we have AMC with Walking Dead, um, FX, which I did find out we do have an FXX channel lined up up here. Um, Breaking Bad, which six episodes left. Yeah, uh, and Five after the I've caught just the first episode of that Low Winter Sun and I loved it. Really? It, it. It was fantastic. I like Mark Strong anyway. Speaking mm-hmm. of kick ass. Um, the Bridge is a show I only caught one episode and I liked, but I just feel like I can't keep up with everything, and for some reason that's one I just didn't try. It's a great time to be a television fan. Yeah, it is. If anything, it's almost hard to be one, though, right now. But yeah, God love Netflix for jumping on this, because they, they've got enough subscribers, and clearly the response to Orange is the New Black has been nothing but positive. This show is worth subscribing to Netflix mm-hmm. for. It's worth it's worth investing in, in streaming Netflix for. Yeah, I I got eat caught up. Yeah, great stuff. All right, we'll break here and uh, we'll start hitting into our uh, our world's end sort of theme here towards the end with the review of that. But first, we're going to give you our top five favorite bar scenes 
in movies of all time. Which is good because I got six and I got to trim one out in the next two minutes. There you go. Well, think about that while we uh, right. while we break. Take car, go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? So, in honor of The World's End, a movie about an epic pub crawl through England, which we are going to recreate here in Portland. <laughs> of all nights. We are going to find 12 pubs, bars, whatever, in Portland, and we are going to recreate our own World's End mm-hmm. uh, in Portland. I think we do it. I think we could do it the night of Weird Al, dude. The day of Weird Al? Yeah, we'd have to do it the day. Yeah, and that or we could land on another day that we just had the whole evening. Ooh, that could be brutal. But we thought it would be fun to sort of riff off that whole thing and just talk about each of our top five favorite scenes from a movie that takes place in a bar. Right. Now, we didn't really put any parameters around this. No, no. But I, I, I will admit, I had seven, and I've got to chop one off, and I think I just did. But... One of them that came to my mind right away, but I'm chopping off, is because it wasn't the bar in particular. And that's the classic one in Goodfellas with Joe Pesci. And, and about, but it's them playing cards in a bar, which to me is different. Mm-hmm. It's got nothing to do with being in a bar. And right. that's why I've chopped it off the list. Well, for me, um, Personally, for me, my my only rule was that the scene in question has to have taken place solely within the bar, mm-hmm. the confines, within the four walls of said bar. Yep. And I intentionally, for myself, um, I intentionally avoided extremely obvious things, like Shaun of the Dead... I didn't include the most Eisley's Cantina from right. Star Wars. And that's the one I've literally just chopped would, out for that reason. That would be... That's too easy. Yep. Um, and that's not to say that I don't have some fairly popular ones on my list. It's just ones that struck me... No, and literally, I just knocked the Cantina scene out, and now I've landed on five. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll go first, because right. you went first in the other one. My number five... Um, uh, as I look at my list here, um, my number five was the scene in From Dusk Until Dawn. Oh. In which Salma Hayek comes out with snake around shoulders and performs to all of the uh, soon to become vampires. What the hell was the name of that bar? I can't remember. It was, it was a very X-rated title, too. Yeah. Because you had Chicha from, We got big yeah. pussy. We yeah. got small pussy. Yeah. <laughs> um, from Dusk Till Dawn is just one of my favorite... What oh, the fuck was that called? Favorite uh, films. It's right in that genre of just, I don't know, just that that dirty southwestern Mexican type... Dusk Till Dawn's a brilliant, oh, cheesy movie, dude. Love it. I, and that's one of those... Harvey Keitel, young Juliet Juliet Lewis. Lewis. Uh, George Clooney and Qu- Quentin Tarantino was yep. brothers, and Tarantino was fucked up. Oh, it was a yeah. Freddie Rodriguez film, right? Uh, Robert Rodriguez. Oh, Rod- yep. Freddie Rodriguez. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. And, yeah, this movie is a... It's a B-rate dream. Oh, yeah. And, uh... 
uh, Salma Hayek is is awesome. And that was when people didn't really know Salma Hayek right. yet. Right. And holy God, dude. Yeah. So that's my number five. All right. My number five, I'm actually going on a comedic end. And it's funny because this is a case where spell check in iPhones is fun. Because spell check calls it Talks Drag Nights. Talladega Nights. <laughs> And it's the first time Ricky Bobby meets Jean Girard. And Jean Girard breaks his arm on the pool table. And then basically says, look, I will shut up and go back to France if you'll say something like, I like crepes. (laughs) I love the fucking scene because it's, there's good Will Ferrell and there's bad Will Ferrell. This was good Will Ferrell. And it's also got John C. Riley in one of his best roles ever. And then you throw in freaking Borat himself as Sasha Baron Cohen in one of my favorite roles. Talladega Nights is damn close to Anchorman level of co- comedy. Mm-hmm. And that scene to me was brilliant. So yeah, the bar scene when when Ricky Bobby first meets Jean Girard is one of my favorites. Nice. Um, I'm... Not necessarily the same genre, but the same same type of filmmaker uh, gets my number four. And he's had many of scenes in many of movies and bars. But the most memorable for me is is got to be uh, in Inglorious Bastards, when uh, which apparently apparently we're sharing here um, when uh, uh, Fassbender and uh, is the is the, the Nazi guy and uh, uh, Diane Kruger comes down as uh, Hammer's Mark and they get into that little war of war. The, just, just and then the gunfight at the, the at zero range. <laughs> zero range. Um, it, it's just it's just classic Tarantino, and it's, all, it's so much about the the dialogue and the characters around it as it is the actual scene. But the fact that it takes place in this little bar, uh, in a in a street in uh, in Germany, is just freaking brilliant. And it just it keeps playing off it too. Even when uh, after the firefight, and Brad Pitt's yelling down. It's like it's it's Lieutenant Angelo Rain. It's just it's so well done. And they set it up so well too at the beginning. Oh. Like you chose here to be. You yeah. chose. Here yeah. in the basement of this bar, yeah. here it's a brilliant scene, and yeah, that will appear on my list. Right, that's my number four, Inglorious Bastards. All right, my number four is the scene that pretty much jumps off a movie you don't like, the bar scene in Boondock Saints when the Saints take down the uh, first appearance of the Russian mob very early on in that movie. And it basically becomes the impetus for it when the rush mob comes in to fuck with their favorite stuttering Southie Irish bar owner. And our two heroes decide, fuck this, we're not putting up with it any longer, and take the Russian mob out. I love Boondock Saints. It's a trashy, bad movie. I love it. And that scene sets the bar for the rest of the movie. It's just a great scene. And it basically highlights everything I like about the characters. There's the whole, all we want to do is drink and fight Irish guys. It's a great, great duo. Right. 
Um, my number three, and I hope I'm not going to steal your thunder here again. It's the nature of the beast going first, I guess. Um, and this one here is a short scene. There's nothing particularly memorable about it as far as action or anything like that. This is really more of a visual stimulus mm. than it is anything that's really going on on screen other, other than visually. Um, and it's the opening shot to Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange... As they're all sitting inside the, the Karova milk, milk bar. <laughs> yep. No, that's not on my list, but as you can tell, that was close. <laughs> that is just one of the most brilliant scenes that sets up yes. a movie. Just the way it, they just Malcolm McDowell and his thug cronies just sitting there yep. looking underneath the brims of their hats, drinking their milk. All these tables that I so want but can't have. And all this scene is, is just a pan back. That's all it is. Right, but it sets... It sets everything Every up. bit of the next two and a quarter hours is shown right there. Yeah. That's a Kubrick thing. Uh-huh. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, that was this close to being on my list, dude. Honorable mention for you. Easily. So, again, with Kubrick being probably my most respected director. Karova Milk Bar from A Clockwork Orange is my number three. All right. Well, then, for me, it would be in The Departed, the cranberry juice scene, <laughs> where the first time DiCaprio's character really sits down to meet Nicholson's character to, to come to terms on who is legit and who, it is, who isn't, and DiCaprio's character orders cranberry juice in the bar, and everyone thinks he's quote-unquote queer for doing so. And it's... If I remember right, DiCaprio's arm is in a cast, and they go so far as to break the cast open to make sure he is who he says he is, and just throw a couple hundred bucks on that, go to a hospital and get it fixed. Mm. It showed how ruthless Nicholson's character was in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, France, and I'm losing his name, uh, he plays a tough in a whole bunch of movies. Basically, Nicholson's driver in the film. It's been a while since it, 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 so. But, yeah, dude, just the whole thought of him, I'll take a cranberry juice. And yeah. Everyone to a man, what are you, queer? Yeah. And, and just the whole, <laughs> fuck you, you have no idea what I'm putting myself into. Right. Being a cop, being undercover in this situation where any of you will kill me. It's and like, you have uh, the nerve. It's like Eastwood in Gran Torino <laughs> when he takes the priest to the bar. And it's like, yes. I'll have a club soda. You have a beer. Right. It's a bar. You have a drink. It's the exact <laughs> same idea where it's like, you have no idea what you're putting somebody through here. Right. And you're judging me on what I'm drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Departed that scene. Absolutely. Good scene. Um, my third one, again, is going to fall back. You can see whose bar scenes I really like the most uh, here is these filmmakers. My second overall is the lap dance scene from Death Proof, in which Stuntman Mike oh, yeah. gets the lap dance from Butterfly, and the music that's playing in the background is just... Dirty, gritty. Textbook Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> it's just mesmerizing to watch and listen to, and there's nothing particularly good-looking about Butterfly. Butterfly got a butter face, but just the way she presents herself in it, just the way there's other characters that don't mean anything to the story, but are just 
set pieces yep. around it. And Kurt Russell as Stuntman Mike. Oh, what a great character, it's dude. With his icy hot yep. jacket. And the music to it is just incredible to watch. Yep. I, I, yeah, that's a great choice. That's my number two, Death Proof. All right, my number two, you've already discussed, and it's the one in Glorious Bastards. Well, then I'm curious to see what our number ones are going to be since we did. Since yeah. And, and, and you, you hit on why. That scene in Glorious Bastards is right up there with the original scene with Landa in the movie, mm-hmm. where the dialogue in it is so just amazingly driven and written, and so much tension is built up. At times with nothing happening. Mm-hmm. It's just a testament to Quentin Tarantino's writing style. I don't think there's anybody out there who writes as well as Tarantino right now. Oh, I, I, and yeah. that scene to me is just perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it, it's, it's an unnatural talent that the guy has for writing. So my number one is really just... A scene that is the ultimate in getting over on a douchebag. Because I hate douchebags. Yeah. I hate pretentious, being douchebag. self-righteous assholes who really just sort of exist for no other reason than to tell you how awesome they are and how inferior you are to them. So when average guy can get over on douchebag, I am completely on board with it. And I think no scene portrays this better than the Harvard bar scene from Goodwill Hunting. I knew that would be on this list. <laughs> it, is, it is so absolutely brilliant to see Ben Affleck, who we've talked about a lot in this podcast, um, as this, this this simple Southie Boston guy going into a Harvard bar trying to pick up a couple of intellectual chicks, getting beat down intellectually by some douchebag, pretentious asshole who, who can't come up with any kind of original thought on his own and just regurgitates everybody else's uh, shit as his own. And to see Matt Damon, and in one of his greatest roles ever, just come in and just destroy this guy on every level intellectually is just awesome i love it that that is that's my number one the goodwill hunting uh harvard bar scene all right i'm going with something almost as iconic but this is the wayback machine 1981 two backpackers david and jack have just jumped off a, a, a flatbed truck out in the moors of England, and they go into this pub in the middle of nowhere, and there is the pentagram on the wall, and they have the nerve, and they all the people are saluting them for being Yanks, and they even tell a joke about what the fall. Uh, remember the Alamo, and he chucked the Mexican out, and then Jack says, "What's that on the wall?" In the movie American Werewolf in London begins. I freaking love that scene. Just the way the townspeople act with these, here we have these Yanks, they're going to think we're crazy, but we know what's out on those moors. Mm -hmm. And the way that they don't want to help them, but yet they do, but they don't feel like they can just for fear of the judgment they'll, they'll, they'll receive. 
it was a brilliant scene and a flat-out brilliant movie. And as far as I'm concerned, an iconic movie. American Werewolf in London still sets the bar for that kind of horror comedy mm-hmm. entertainment. John Landis hit a home run, and that scene was by far the one that stands out. If you give me a pub scene, that's the one that comes to my Solid mind. scene. And certainly Griffin Dunn pointing at the pentagram on the wall and saying, what is that? And I want to say it was called like the Headless Lamb or something yeah. was the pub. Yeah. And it looked like that that little shit pub out in the middle of nowhere in Are Britain. Are there any greater things than the, the names of pubs? Dude, they're the awesome. English In pubs. this movie, today, the, the one we're going to review, I'm like... We need to hit these. Yes. The, the the Americas, we lost the ability to name bars. Back in the uh, the late 80s, early 90s, when I worked at Disney, there was uh, in Lake Buena Vista. And I, it's not there anymore. I don't, it may still be some level of bar, but it's not the bar that we used to go to. But uh, it was a little English pub, um, which was great because, because back in the day, local establishments would cater to the international crowds because they knew that Epcot... You had international crowds. You actually mm-hmm. had college-age kids from all these different nationalities. That's what they used to get their help from, wasn't right, it? Right, yeah, for, yeah. For, the, for the nations in Epcot. And it was a British pub that we used to go to every Saturday night for car- drunken karaoke. And just it was very traditional pub style. It was called the George and Dragon. Who, a, who's George and how title, is he? Dude. Yeah, who is George and why is he fucking with dragons? I don't understand. But this is a great place to go have a pint. You know that is a freaking brilliant title. I I can't even begin to tell you how many times I perhaps may have crawled out of the Georgian dragon, but it was it was so cool. Um, so anyway, there are literally... That was a solid list, dude. Hundreds upon hundreds of classic bar scenes and movies. And there's probably a bunch we're not even thinking of that would probably knock some of ours off our list. Mm-hmm. But there are just tons of epic scenes in bars around. Those are just five that sort of stuck out to me. As I was trying to think about what would be cool on a list. Yeah. No, Even no. though I, I ventured into Tarantino-esque uh, territory three out of five times there. No, but what? From dusk till dawn, though. That's a great choice. Right. All right. So with that said, we will segue into our review of The World's End. Ever had one of those nights that starts out like any other? but ends up being the best night of your life. I did. Our goal that night was simple. 12 pubs, 12 pints. From the first post to the world's end. But that night, we never made it. That's what the boys are today. Huh? We're going to go back to Newton Haven. Why? Five guys, 12 pubs, 50 pints. 60 pints. <laughs> On you, Alkin. This is our chance to finally finish what we started. We are going to do the gold mile, and this time we are going to see it through to the bitter end or lager end. Good evening, Raymondo. The prodigal son's return. Hi. What do you recommend? Yeah. Mmm. One tap water. What? What the hell is this? Why are we even here? We are here to get annihilated. You come back, everything's sort of weird. I suggest you get on your way. This is the house that's changed. It's the town. 
get to the world's end if it kills us. Oh, come on, boys. Summer 2013, maybe not on the calendar, but as far as movies go, is officially over. It is, but then again, it begins at the first week of May, so... <sighs> even before then, I'd, I'd say sometimes. I mean, next year, it seems like it's even before. Yeah, we're starting to roll April, and realistically, March is becoming a huge month. But you know what is fine with me? I, you know, I'd almost rather them spread them out a little more. This year, if anything, I'm starting to feel a bit of fatigue from the number of movies we've seen. Right. And kind of getting the... I found myself looking at our summer report card going, I don't remember what all the movies we've seen this summer. I mean, we've seen our share for the <laughs> for both our own viewing and for the website, so... Yeah, it's been crazy, and next year is going to be just as heavy. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'm not even going to get into next year yet because I'm looking too much forward to uh, 2015. Oscar. Well, no, the Oscar season oh. right now. I'm more concerned about what's going to happen between October and uh, January 1st here. Well, uh, if, if you haven't stuff. read the article in EW, apparently Julia Roberts is getting a lot of love going into well, the I'm Oscars. a little concerned that she is. I'm a little concerned that Meryl Streep is again yeah. rearing her, her ugly head. Um, so we can get the Meryl Streep. You probably don't want to see me here. No, we heard yeah, that we, last we time. We absolutely do. We really don't want to now. Um, do you... Uh, do We should we should make an Oscar plan this year. We should probably watch the Oscars in the same room. Yeah, you'll be around this year. Last year you were in Hawaii. I'm in, so. a freaking, I'm in a hotel room in Honolulu watching the Oscars <laughs> well, five, right, year, five hours this after they actually yeah, aired. I, there are people going... He sounds like he's pissed. I'm in a hotel in Honolulu. I was pissed. <laughs> I'm thinking, God damn it, why am I not watching the Oscars when it's live? Jeez. Oh, I saw J-Law fall, fall down the stairs. Five three hours later? Three hours after yeah. you did. Yeah, I, 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 I am very passionate about watching the Oscars. That much is certain. Anyway. And we should. We should do a, a, something live during the Oscars. Find some way to pull it off. Yeah, I agree. Uh, maybe even a video live. Yeah, try to figure that. that out. Yeah, get our get our true reactions to the Oscars. We'll do it like uh, mystery there, science theater. There style. will be a lot of f bombs during that episode, oh, dude. Because uh, you, yeah, again, the Oscars incite some real anger. Absolutely. And we have Ellen hosting this year, so Which you're a little bit more. Depressed about that. Yeah, I'm very depressed about that. Um, but whatever. Um, anyway, the world's end. The uh, the third in the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy of Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost. Or what? Three flavors, Coronetto. Or yep. Um, the follow up to Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Uh, and ultimately, this felt a lot like. It belonged in that group of movies. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and I liked it a lot. I, I thought it, it was, was great. fun. It, it, it does not supplant Shaun of the Dead. 
in any agree. way, shape, or form for me. I would agree. The, the reviews and like EW saying it's the best of the trilogy. I'm like, all right, but slow down. It was. I will say this. I think they put the most effort into this one. There were certainly times where I thought they put the most, certainly the most money, and certainly I think the the, the they put the most thought into the script in this one. Mm-hmm. Whereas Shot of the Dead was more sight gaggy and, and just getting to Winchester. Right. And this one, I think there was a little more heart to this movie. Yep. Um, that may or may not play off well with some people, though. Mm-hmm. Because there, there are weird moments in this movie when you're watching it, it's bringing the funny. Then all of a sudden it rolls into a very uh, an attempted emotional scene mm-hmm. that seems a little odd at times. Uh, yeah, no, I did. I uh, I enjoyed it. I, you know, it wasn't it wasn't any more as uproariously funny as any. A lot of a lot of Wright's humor is subtle humor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, he's a master of just genre storytelling, though. Um, and basically, at the crux, this is about this is about Simon Pegg's character, um, King. What was his first name? Ryan, wasn't it? No, it wasn't Ryan, was it? I don't know. King, <clears throat> who is sort of a man child who's sort of stuck back in his younger days. He really hasn't made anything out of his life. Uh, his four friends from high school have all sort of gone on to different successes in their lives, married, careers, and such. And King is just sort of existing. So he decides, uh, as he's telling this story in what I presume to be some sort of... I, I want to say it was like a... a an AA meeting, but I'm not sure it was AA, but it was one of those support group meetings. It was this. If we were British, we would have recognized what the wristbands were because that was a major deal in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, we as Americans, it didn't mean as much. We're like, you get those anytime you go to a hospital. Yeah. And, so but he it was made like a, a psych ward thing? I think it did play out that way, yeah. Okay. But it was a psych ward, and maybe it's a British thing where they lump, if you have severe, severe alcoholism, mm. they consider that to be a psychiatric issue. Okay. Um, but he's retelling the story about when they were younger and they went on this... Uh, Gary. Gary King. Gary King, that's right. Um, on this epic pub crawl through the town that they grew up in. And what did they call it? They called it the Golden Mile? The Golden Mile. The Golden Mile, which was a series of 12 pubs. And this group of five friends goes from pub to pub, to having a pint in each one. Each one meets with different success, some drop out, some stuff. But they never quite make it to the end. So Gary now wants to go back and sort of finish what they started. He wants to go back and, and attempt the pub crawl again. To mixed reaction amongst his friends, um, things have happened that uh, uh, Gary is that is that friend that you had that you really merely tolerate. You never really liked the guy. You never really hate the guy. He's just that guy, the one who just tags along, is obnoxious, boisterous. Um, 
Parties too much. He's the Steve Stifler of this group. Parties way too much, speaks his mind way too much, doesn't care who he offends. Right, right. Just because he's stuck in that world. He's very, think Steve Stifler of the American Reunion or American Mm -hmm. Pie things, and and you have who Gary was here. Yep. Um, So he somehow begs lies, lies and cheats his way into talking his four friends into going back to this town to attempt this. Uh, and at that point, it kicks off their adventure, and eventually they get about halfway through, and that's when we start shifting into a different type of movie. Right. Care to take it from there? Yeah, it... it early on, the, the movie sets up that Gary is this kind of waste, but it was almost like he had these these this lost set of ideals, and, and it wasn't just that not... Finishing their bar crawl was it. It was that was where all of a sudden they became adults, and his friends moved on and left him. And I will, I will also uh, analyze, uh, make an analogy of his character to Rob Lowe's in Sing Almost Fire. Ooh, now you're going to a deep, deeper cut. Well, yeah, but it's that same type of thing. Yeah. He's that that man child who who is so preoccupied, who who never quite made it with his own life. So in order to sort of drown that out, he tends to want to exist in his former life where he didn't have the cares and the responsibilities. And he was the big man on campus because nobody else had made anything of themselves yet. Which Um, is funny because isn't this exactly where I complained about the lifeguard? Because that was exactly her character. She was the valedictorian who was the one that everyone knew would make good. But Gary was never that. No, but... Gary just never made it. The difference with Gary was, he was the one everyone wanted to be because he was the party animal. Right. And in high school, everyone likes hanging with that guy in high school. Right. But there comes a, a time when, as you become an adult, that guy becomes a pain in the ass because you now answer for everything that guy does. Yeah. And as, as a kid, you get away with it. Oh, they're fucking kids. As an adult... There are penalties and costs to having that kind of a friend. And that's really what this movie boiled down to is all these people have kind of moved on. Here's Gary who has him. He brings them back for one night for him to regain the one night that he yep. was better than them. Yep. And all of them have had great life, quote unquote great lives since. Right. They've all done fine monetarily. They're, They're all, all good. They've all grown up. And... They, they've all succeeded in some way. Now, relationship-wise, that's the difference. And that this movie plays on that a lot. That monetary success doesn't necessarily mean relationship success. Right. And to a man, I think every single one of his buddies has had issues that way. Yep. Even the one who's still married tunes his entire family out of the table. Mm-hmm. While he's sitting reading the paper, because he really is a non-factor. Right. Um, but as you said, so they get about halfway through the crawl, with Gary really being the only one who cares about the crawl. And then we have the introduction that the townspeople ain't what we thought they were. Right. Spoilers. Spoilers. But you also see it in the trailer. Right. Um at that point, it becomes Gary's quest that they need to get to the quote-unquote world's end, which here is both symbolic and meaning exactly what it says it is. Right. 
symbolic in as much as this could be the downfall of the planet as we know it, this race of people in this town not being what we think they are, and the and realistically, the world's end could be this is the end of him. This is his one chance to shine. He needs to get that twelfth pint in that twelfth pub, or he hasn't succeeded. Right. And he's got to get his buddies on board. It's not enough for just him to do it. His buddies have to be part of it. Right. Despite the fact that we are now being chased by something from another planet. Well, he even says it alongside, this is all I have. Yeah. Is succeeding in this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean anything to you guys, but it means everything to me to succeed in yeah. this. And, and certainly you can sit, sit back and say, well, okay. Everybody knows that one guy that would have this kind of drive. Um, for better or worse, I guess you should say. But when you add the extra wrinkle, then you realize this is way more than just a drive to, to regain that youth. It's an obsession. Mm. And this is where the movie really takes a different turn is you bring in the extraterrestrial aspect of the, the townsfolk. And then you have all the friends now looking at Gary saying... Why do you not want to just get the fuck out? Hmm. We could leave town. We could have beer in London and just fuck everything. But instead, Gary wants to keep trying to get to the quote-unquote world's end, that final pub at the end of the crawl. Um, I love the interplay of all of the quote-unquote friends in this movie. And I like the fact that each one of them had their own bit of character. That they, They could have easily stamped each one of them out. And they could have easily just said, we're only going to care, care about the Nick Frost and Simon Pegg characters. Yeah. Because, again, it is a Nick Frost, Simon Pegg vehicle. Right. But they did spend enough time on all the other characters that at certain points it really didn't feel that way. And I even love the, the uh, addition, I'm losing, is it Sam, the, the, Samantha? The, yeah, Rosamund Pike. I loved bringing in her character. That, to me, added another little bit of fun. Because, again, it was... I think a lot of teenage boys growing up had that friend that also had a crush on the same girl you did. And it kind of brought all those memories back of how did you react when you found out they were competing for that same girl, even though in retrospect, there was nothing worthy of that kind of competition. But still, it, it, it captured that little bit of your childhood that I think every teenage boy can grasp onto. Right. And that, to me, is where this movie is its strongest, is when they really get that snapshot into how hard it is to deal with the fact that we can't just do a pub crawl anymore. There are some kind of consequences. And all his friends are quick to point out all along, there are. Friday night's great. It's that Monday morning hangover that you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Gary doesn't care about the end result. All he cares about is getting there. Right. And all his friends have gotten way past that point. And that is the whole youth meets adult thing that I think plays so well in this movie. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, you know, there's in, in every Edgar Wright movie, um, there's always the sort of metaphor for what we've become as a, as a society. And I think I love the way this movie plays off that whole, 
how we have become, much like how we've become zombies in Shaun of the Dead, we've become robots in this technologically advanced world that we're in, of how we can't fathom existing without our cyber connections. Yeah, without our iPhones, our iPods, having network access no matter where we are. so (laughs) plugged in. And and then even the way that they sort of were alluding to how the man wants to keep you that way. Because if you're tuned out of what's really going on around you and just tuned into stuff that doesn't matter, then they can do whatever they want with you. Mm-hmm. And they can turn you into the robots who just exist in society, who, just, who are just happy-go-lucky and, and just... Ignorant to everything around them, and I thought this movie really played off that whole yep. that whole piece very well, um, and, and to the point where at the end, where I'm trying to reconcile, my, am I happy that this that everything went to shit? And I think yes, I am because it showed that we can move on without all this other shit. It was. It's a funny thing to say when you're talking to comedy, especially in Edgar Wright, Nick Frost. I'm a big comedy. There was a risk factor involved with the ending they chose. Mm-hmm. A great risk. Yep. Especially with American audiences that want a happy ending. And I don't necessarily know that we didn't get a happy ending. But for those that can't separate themselves from the digital age, oh. this ain't a happy ending. No. Not by any stretch. No. And I think it played out really, really interestingly. Right down to Nick Frost's comment about... Having to live organic and and, mm-hmm. and he and his wife having to come grip to grips with it. I also love the touch of while well, he's saying it. I it doesn't say I don't miss certain foods and the Coronetto ice cream yeah, wrapper lines awesome. up on the. It's awesome. a great touch, um, but yeah, there, there's a certain amount of risk in taking a comedy and adding that kind of twist to it that for me worked really well yeah. because it plays in such stark contrast to everything you'd seen during the course of the well, movie. Well, I'm one of those guys. I like my gadgets. I like the fact that I don't have to work real hard to find the information I need. However, it also frustrates me that there are those out there who can't for a second disconnect. Right. The and people that in the middle of conversation can pull out their cell phone and text so somebody. absorbed. It, and, <sighs> and it's even within my own family at times. It frustrates me when you sit down... To watch a movie or a television show, and I don't understand how you how you're even watching it because I've looked over at you twenty times, and nineteen yeah. of those times you're watching whatever device you're holding and not the movie. Yeah, and, and I don't get. In it. mine, it's the same way. In my house, it's Facebook that does the same I, thing. There's, there's no a, way you can tell me you're following the movie on the exactly. screen. And I, I'll even go so far as say, "Do you need me to rewind?" No, I'm good. There's no way that this means the same thing it does to me no. as it does to you. There's no way. And, yeah, there are some people they just cannot disconnect from it anymore. And, and I don't understand it. No. And I, it's something that I have not, that I have taken pride that I have not succumbed to. Which is interesting yeah. because we, we, we do get the irony that we're recording a podcast and we're saying this. But we're recording a podcast and as much as... we're not trying to do something else in the process. And, and we're saying... We hope our listeners are listening at a time where they have nothing else going on, that they're not ignoring their own family to listen to said podcast. Right. They listen when it's convenient yeah. as something to then take right. them away. 
It's like when I go to a movie, I'm going to sit there and I can, I can put my phone in my pocket for an hour yep. and 45 minutes. There's nothing so critical in my world that I got to find out what one of my faux friends are doing on Facebook right. that I can't wait two hours to find out. Yeah. Uh, it, it baffles me. And I got into this discussion with my wife. She goes, she's like, only time I pull out my phone is if I'm bored with the movie. Then leave the movie. Because yeah. I am there, whether I like it or not, I am there to enjoy the movie. And the minute your little light goes on on your little phone, you've distracted me from that experience. And also, you don't know if you've just missed something that could change your impression of the movie if I, you're tuning out. I don't understand. Yeah. I, I it, it baffles me. Kids today don't even don't even understand what it was like prior to this when you had to use your imagination when you had when you had a fantasy football league and you had to wait till sometimes Tuesday morning to find out who won because you had to look it up. Right, in you the had newspaper. to get the newspaper. Oh yeah. You know there, there's 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 great advantages to all the technology that we have, but you just have to know when to turn it off for a little bit of time. Right. And we're not talking about days upon days. You know, I go out to an island uh, every summer, and it's it's totally disconnected. And after two or three days, I'm like done with it because I need to be I need to be more engaged with what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. But it's so nice to just unwind away from it for a little while and just read a fucking book or something. And people today just can't do it. And I thought that in this movie especially, they did such a great job of just sort of, I don't want to say they were making fun of anybody by any stretch that like that, but they definitely were sort of telling you that we've become a society who just, just can't disconnect and we're all just turning into these robots and or zombies and or whatever... And we are out of touch with, with really what's really important in our lives. And I'll up that. And a certain way that the, the, the pubs were delivered in this also highlights it. The first pubs, when they're still very much part of society going through their mm -hmm. roles, were the pubs that they remember as being classic pubs. And yet they go in and they become Starbucks. Everyone looks exactly the same with their chalkboard, with the specials, and the little family tables, and, and, and. But as the night progresses, the pubs become more and more the old pubs where you sit with your buddies at the bar and mm -hmm. shoot the shit. And no cell phone would ever in a million years come out for right. you to check your scores. Yep. And that, I, I did catch that. That early on, before everything fell apart, the pubs were different. And that was symbolic of the way the movie was playing out. Mm -hmm. Is that as things got... Wait, the World's End was a pub right out of the classic pub. It was, you walk in, there's the beautiful bar of mahogany with all the yep. taps, with all the bar stools. And you just go up and find a bar stool and sit and drink with your buddies and just reconnect. Yep. And fuck the rest of the world. Yep. And that was the whole idea. Is we need to disconnect from the digital age. We need that reconnect with your friends. Yeah. Nothing beats sitting at a bar with a buddy in a freaking frosty pipe in your hands. 
and just tuning everything else out. Yeah. That there is not much better you can ever find than that. And yeah, the the whole the digital age gets lambasted in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it, they, is, they spell it right out that that was all part of the whole alien invasion was part of the digital age. That was their gift to us is that we all basically connect to the, the digital age and shut ourselves off. It right. makes us easier to take over. It's an interesting spin. It certainly works well in this movie, and I, yeah. I definitely don't disagree with it. Right. Um, it was interesting, though, to see it in a Simon Pegg, Nick Frost film. Because their films, again, they don't spend a great deal of money in the delivery. Yet the final 15 minutes of this movie, I felt like they spent more on that right. than they'd done on any of their movies up to this point. The whole swirling around of the universe and, and, and all the different digital icons and then blowing up the, the, the map of the Earth and all the, the alien invasion points. Mm -hmm. It was... It felt different from anything I'd seen from them. Mm, Not absolutely. bad different, more, but different. A little more mainstream than their previous two yes. films. Even though they, I think they, they think they really kept the integrity of the setting. It felt like it was taking place in the same... You know, it, it felt like it was taking place in England in the places like you saw in Shaun of the Dead and Hot yeah. Clouds. So I thought they did a real good job of, of maintaining the integrity of, of where it was taking place. But yeah, some of the uh, some of the effects pieces and, and whatnot of where they took it was definitely a lot more mainstream than what you've seen from them before. Um, Peg and Frost... Are Peg and Frost. Um, you know, I this is a little bit different than what you've seen from Peg in the past in the first two flicks. I mean, the first flick, he's just he's just Sean. Second flick, he's this uptight cop. Yeah. This one here, he's he's definitely a lot more in your face. I would argue he almost comes off as douchebags uh, of uh, slacker guy. Yeah. That, that yeah. He, he really has no point to exist except... Getting boozed up, getting almost getting to the high. point at times where you were kind of like, "All right, tone him back a little." Yeah, bit. I would agree. You know, especially early on, I'm like, "All right, we we get who he is. Let's rein it in a little bit." And and not that it's about the character; it's about the stark contrast to what we've seen from Simon Pegg. Right. Um, I I don't want to see asshole Simon Pegg because I'm not comfortable with seeing that. I haven't seen that, and it plays off a little weird. Well, I thought it was a little too much too. In that, at some point, there's no way these guys are still hanging with this guy. They, he no, he no. had to pull teeth to get them there to begin with, and he is so over the top douchebaggy that there's just no way I would even have hung out with him right. at that point. Um, but but Pegg does a good job. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Frost does a good job. We have Bilbo Baggins in it. Martin Freeman, who was good. Yeah. Uh, Patty Con I love Patty Considine. Um, if you have never seen In America, if you want to know if Patty Considine can actually act. I recognize the guy, but I, I can't in place America. Uh, in America is a just brutally gut-wrenching flick hmm. about an immigrant Irish family that moves to New York City. Um, you talk about child actors. <laughs> See in America if you get the chance. And Considine was actually nominated, I believe, for uh, an Academy Award uh, for that role. Um, but he, he's great. And then Marzen, uh, I, I don't know anything about that guy above and beyond. That's an odd-looking dude. Yeah. 
Um, you had Filch from the Harry Potter series in there, whose name I don't really know. Uh, yeah. You had Pierce Brosnan in here. <laughs> With bad facial hair. Yeah, yeah. The voice of Bill Nye. Um, he was the uh, the alien. Um, dude, I had a fun. And, and there was all of the all of the typical nods that you get. You know, you get the fence falling down scene. You get the the whole blood and the ice cream thing. Although the blood here was blue and not red. I don't think there was any. Oh, there was red. I guess when when he cut get, his head, they get cut. Yeah, but but it actually was really minuscule. Human violence, there really wasn't that much. There's nothing to really get all freaked out about. No. This is an R-rated movie for language only. And yeah, the language there's, is... some, there's some barroom brawling. Yeah. And the only actual, like, death and dismemberment comes at the hands of robots. Right. So... Now, I will have to admit that the twin female robots, Dude, when the one came back with the, the instead of arms, had the legs. I'll tell you what. I want a marmalade sandwich now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want I want marmalade. <laughs> yeah, it was now. It was pretty pretty damn nice. Oh Jesus, dude, that was that that scene alone. Just walking into that bar, I'd have never left. That bar felt like the freaking Bananarama show to me, dude. Well, with only a different number of <sighs> dudes dancing together. Dude, oh, man, there was some serious. Scenery in that scene. Yeah, there was, and all dressed and in little was, white shirts and little squirrel girl. There skirts. was there was marmalade sandwiches. Yes, there was, and nice heels and yes, brilliant. It it was it hit that part of every little boy. Yes. So does uh, does this tidally wrap up the three flavors Cornetto trilogy for you? I think so. Um, I. Do I want to see Frost and, and Peg stop doing things together? No. But, throw Edgar right into that, too. But if you're going to wrap it up where Edgar Wright's directing them in, in a movie that's part of the series, I'm comfortable with this being the end. It, 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 they did a great job with it. They gave me anything I could have looked for in the movie. It was a fun, fun time at the movies. And it's certainly in a, a, a summer that, to me, let me down more often than not. This did this not didn't. let me down. It, it gave me enough laughs. Some out and out, out loud laughs, which I don't normally do at the movies. Mm-hmm. And again, we both joked about the fact there was some insane woman sitting down the row from us that <laughs> was just is. being psychotic in her laughter. Yeah. But th- there was enough here that I, I could be perfectly happy this way that they run, uh, end up wrapping up the movies. So. I agree. It's a four out of five for yep. me. And four out of five is a perfect landing spot for me. Um, yeah, it, it was everything I wanted. Um, so that's the world's end. That's and the, the summer's end. Of end. Summer. Yeah, that's sort of depressing. And I'm not sure what we have over the next couple of weeks, to be honest with you. Yeah, I bet it's going to be a few weeks before we do the next... Um, I don't know. I mean, we we do have the uh, the new television season really starting to kick into gear in a couple of weeks. Well, we yeah, we should probably record Ooh. in two weeks, right? Um, but I don't know it'll be around a movie as much this time. It could be around yeah. TV. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, we'll have to. Well, check sun's this. kicking off. Always sunny. Breaking Bad will be in mid season by then, literally. Hmm. Um. What else are we looking at? The League. 
kicking off. Yeah. Because they're all kicking off earlier this year than the past. By then you'll have uh, watched Orange the New Black in its entirety. I will have. So whatever. We'll find something to discuss in a couple of weeks. We have the fantasy football draft next week, which will be interesting in and of itself. It will be. But uh, that's it for the summer. That's it for the ninjas on podcast number nine. So next time you hear from us will be the fall TV season by the sound of it. There we go. That works. Bye. Later.